Are you ready? A shot of wrestling. Episode 207. And wait. Wait. Go. WWE Raw, Unwatchable, Is Money in the Bank, Losing, It's Luster, an interview with Chris Levin, and more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 207 of A Shot of Wrestling. I'm your host, at Michael J. Putty, joined, as always, Hollywood Mark Schwann. Mark, how are you doing today? How are you holding um, up? I'm holding up fantastic, man. I'm keeping busy, actually, during this quarantine, believe it or not. Doing? Uh, doing. You know, I'm just uh, practicing with my acting, doing interviews for A Shot of Wrestling, uh, doing social media stuff, uh, doing seminars. I actually just signed a. It's official. The deal is official. Actually, doing um, consulting work for a movie. Oh shit! For, okay. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I just signed a contract today. What are you consulting on? Uh, for the sale of the script, actually. Oh, you do that stuff? That's cool. I produce, mm-hmm. but I do consulting work as well. Okay. Check you out. Yeah. Check yeah, dude. Check out any trades. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. How about you? How are you doing? Just another day. Just another day. Wake up. That sounds miserable. This is the highlight of my week. Talk to me, buddy. What's wrong? Uh, talk, like... to, to, talk to Uncle Schwan. Uh, that seems weird. It's a weird phrasing. <laughs> T- take a seat in the lap. Yeah. You want a lollipop? Talk about the first thing that pops up. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Let's move on. How do we transition from that? I don't know. I don't think I, do. How do you transition to that? You're the host. You're, it's, that's your job to transition. Last week, you were dry, no alcohol in the house. You restocked, you refilled. Yes, thank God. Feeling better? Oh, that's why you're such God. a good mood this week. I was going nuts, man. Like, I got, dude, so there's an app that I got called Drizzly, I think it's called. The delivery one. Yes. Okay. They had a deal on Tito's Vodka. I got a huge ass thing of Tito's Vodka for like, I think it was like, Forty bucks after it came to like uh, tax and tip. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Uh, and they delivered. They delivered with like within the hour. Shit, really? Yeah, I couldn't believe how fast it came. But like, dude, I'm telling you, it was a big fucking thing of Tito's. I just should last me a day. Yeah, I just stayed in Staten Island for a couple of days doing my grandma's funeral a couple years ago, and I'm mm-hmm. sitting in the hotel. And I'm like, fuck! I knew I should have brought some alcohol to drink, right? So I heard about this Drizzly app. I download it and I Jack Daniel's honey, like the medium bottle. Like a hundred and something dollars. It'll take. It'll be there in two weeks. Like this is ew. That's bullshit. So I, was, so I never went back. Maybe that's when right. the app first came out. So maybe they kind of revamped it. So I'll definitely check that out again because that's awesome. Yo, yeah. With with no joke. Within the hour, that's man. awesome. That's great. It, it, oh, it was great. I, I was expecting it to be like a day or so, whatever. And I was like, oh man, fucking hey, I'm winning. Yeah. And uh, you know, got a bunch of beer. As well, got a summer shandy. I also got the Sam Adams summer pack. I tried uh, a new one from Sam Adams. Not usually a Sam Adams fan, but I had the Sam Adams. Is it the Porch Rocker? I think it's called. Okay. Have you had that one? No, I'm not a Sam Adams guy either. Yo, this one's phenomenal. 
phenomenal. And I, I'm like I said, not a Sam Adams guy. My wife calls yeah. me into it because she likes Sam Adams. So I said, all right, let's do it. I'm not going to turn out a beer. We're at Boston 2011 for the Royal Rumble, and we go to a bar and they have a Sam Adams sampler. It's like five mm. little drinks of Sam Adams, different flavors. Worst experience of my life. All five of them were gross. I was like, oh, wow, really? I drank and become a man, but they were gross. So I'm, See, I wouldn't necessarily say it's gross. I, I, I'm not going to like turn it down if someone's offering it to me, but it's like not my go-to. Like, no. I'm not necessarily a fan no. of it. I, it. It's very rare if I turn down a beer. Wow, I think the only beer I, yeah, dude, check it out. Facebook has shown me all these videos of the uh, tipsy bartender on Facebook. This guy, you seen okay. this guy? I watched one yeah, video that yeah. they're sending me nonstop videos of this guy. I don't even follow this guy. We always popped up on my time uh, news feed. And there's so many drinks that look amazing, but I don't have any of the shit he has. So now I know where to go to get it. Fantastic. Thank you. I might play with some uh, <laughs> experiments, some re- drink recipes in the next couple of days. So, everyone, this is Putty's last week on a shot of wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I might take next couple weeks off. Next next 28 <laughs> days off. Ah, right, uh, shit. Enough about us. Um before we get into the news, you know you made it when, you, when, you're on, when you're on late night TV, right? Yeah. Conan O'Brien decided to pay tribute to WWE. Oh. Okay? Oh, I heard about this. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Thanks, Conan. Thanks for Conan for representing those guys sacrificing their health to entertain us mm-hmm. week in and week out. Let's see what we're going to say. Then we'll get into the news. I did want to mention something. So many people are shining a light on uh, the businesses that have stayed open throughout this crisis, the essential businesses the essential services that different states have said must continue. Uh, Here's kind of a controversial one. Florida decided a while ago that wrestling was an essential service. Yes, essential. And so it has continued. The WWE has continued throughout this crisis, and we thought someone should tip their cap to the good folks at the WWE. Take a look. Day after day, we're watching heroes risk their health and safety to keep the rest of us going strong. Doctors, nurses, grocery workers, delivery people, and professional wrestlers. Those selfless gladiators who elbow smash, cross chop, and clothesline each other day after day for our amusement. Frontline heroes like Mojo Rawley, Roman Reigns, Natalia, and Sasha Banks choking each other out so the rest of us can breathe a little easier. Thank you for your service, WWE. And thank you, Florida. Once again, you've out-Florida yourself. It's time for In the News with Michael J. Putty and Mark Schwab. Good job, Conan. As you mentioned, Florida announced WWE as an essential business. Well, this past week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis held a press conference. Florida recently announced that all sports leagues with the national audience were essential as long as they operate under COVID-19 guidelines, which allows for WWE and does allow for AEW. I was asking about that last week, so AEW's coming back. DeSantis talked about wanting WWE to invest in Florida and host a WrestleMania in the state, which is interesting because Tampa Bay is now the rumored host to WrestleMania 38 next year, oh, two years from now, 2022. Saying, and I quote, I'd like to get to the point. I'm not saying we're going to get it to it in May. Helps recruit. I want the wrestling to be filmed in Orlando. I'd like them to do WrestleMania. They were going to do WrestleMania in April. That's hundreds of millions of dollars. I want to keep a good relationship with them. I want them to invest in Florida. They're bringing back the UFC. Oklahoma's now interested in bringing wrestling and combat sports like the UFC to their state as well. 
No word yet. Officials have reached out to AW or WE as of this recording. So, Mark, how do you feel about this? Do you think this is a smart move to, to go back to the live crowds in Florida and Oklahoma? I don't know how Oklahoma is doing with all this, but people want to get out They're doing better in New York. I mean, yeah. I think it's just too soon. I, I yeah. mean, you know, we all know a second wave is going to come, and you're really going to open things up back right away, even at a reduced capacity. You know, you're, you're opening up people to potentially get sick and possibly die. Do you space um, them out six feet apart? How do you really control that at, at a wrestling event? You say you bring your kids. You know, how, how are you going to really control that? You know, it, it's going to be very hard to implement no, that. No. And, and then, then what? You, you open up for like a month or two, a second wave comes, and you got to shut it back down. I think that's even worse. I, I think, you know, as much as we want to get things back to normal, as much as we want the live crowds to happen, as, as, as much as we just, we're tired of this bullshit of being quarantined, we have to do what's best for business, as Triple H would say. And Triple H uh, in business right now uh, would mean, you know, waiting this out. Waiting until we get, like, not, not necessarily a vaccine, but a treatment. A good treatment that's going to handle this, where it's going to make sure, like, the numbers are not as staggering as they are right now. Where we need to go back to normal. But if we were to go back to normal right now, go to shows, have events, and, uh, and there's nothing out there to protect us, then you're going to have a worse impact uh, than what we originally had, and your business is going to have to shut down again, and that's going to be even worse for the economy in the long term. I feel like there's a big headache. Uh, I mean, I know, I know they, they're dying for money because they need it, but I just don't think it's We all it. need it. Exactly. We all need it, man. Like, it, it, it's crazy. Like, you know, the Florida acts like their only state hurting it. Oklahoma's like the only state hurting No, we're, we're all hurting, man. We're all suffering from this. What, New York's not hurting? New York, we're getting our asses kicked over here. Yeah. You know, but, you know, you don't see us, you know, like, like, hey, let's get the show going again. Let's open up MSG again. Let's get our sports on. Yeah, we want to, but we know it's not the right move to do. This is a wrestling podcast, but shout out to those sports fans. NASCAR is coming back in a couple of weeks. So those of you who watch NASCAR, you have something to watch. Hear about that? NASCAR's coming back with no fans. Yeah! Okay. Yep, I'm I... a Northern fan. I'm not, I'm not a NASCAR guy. Yeah. Nothing else to watch, Mark. You might try it. You never know. Nope. Never say never. Nope. I, I can say never in that one. <laughs> you know, the news is being reported. WWE are basically willing to grant a release to just about anybody who wants it at this time. So it's going to be interesting to see if anybody actually wants to ask for their release during this time because there's nowhere for them to go right now. Speaking of releases, Kane Velasquez got released. Curtis Axel got released as well. Curtis Axel is a big surprise for me because he didn't use him on the main roster, but he was their go-to guy. He was the one that trained with The Rock on his comeback, Brock Lesnar on his comeback, somebody else, I forgot who the third person was. They sent Axel down the train with them to get them in ring shape. So they, they seem to have high confidence in Curtis Axel. It just never, for some reason, panned out. Who do you think? You think anybody will ask for their releases, Mark? Do you think this is a smart move? Do you think people should stay? Um, I, I think this is a this is a big red flag here for WWE. I I, I think right now no this way. goes to show that uh, that they are hurting maybe a little bit more than they're letting on right now. And, and uh, you know it, it's a way basically for people to say, hey step on up. We'll let you go of your contracts. That's money gone. Yeah. You know that they don't necessarily have to pay. You've never heard WWE do that before, especially now when they actually have some competition along the way. You know, uh, maybe it just shows you how much money the uh, the gate brings in, and how much they thrive on the gate money for these the attendance. It just right, wow. right. And already they were hurting going in, especially with like the numbers of the WWE Network. They were considering you know selling the rights yeah. to ESPN or whoever was out there that was like you know the highest suitor. ESPN uh, and Fox, I heard. 
But ESPN, Fox. I think one point it was rumored to be HBO. I, I don't think anything happened with it's that. Like we hear that every two weeks. So I just, yeah, whatever. I'll right. Be, I believe it when I see it. Right, but like you know, with that going on before, right before this was uh, the COVID nineteen hit. You know, those rumors were, were about, and it looked like uh, those rumors were more than just rumors. It looked like there was actually something there. But, you know, now you're having, you're releasing people. Now you're telling people, hey, you want to leave, you can leave. That's not a good sign here. Uh, I think people will leave. I think there are people that are not happy with the company. They haven't been for some time. And uh, it seems like people are disgruntled about the fact that they have to compete under these circumstances. So yeah, I wouldn't if, be surprised if we have more people leaving. If you get released... You can't go to AW. You can't cruise the indie circuits. So why not right. sit back and collect the paycheck for the time being? I mean, that, that's also a move. Who knows? You know, it, it depends, man. Someone could be like that unhappy where they're like, I just can't take this shit anymore, and they bounce. A big thing that was surprising on the release list was Gerald Briscoe. Thankfully, that is not the case. He was furloughed. Gerald Briscoe is the uh, amateur scout. He goes to all these amateur wrestling events. He's responsible for giving the likes of Brock Lesnar, Jason Jordan, and Chad Gable, amongst others, their chance. Now, this is, there's no wrestling shows going on, like we just mentioned. It makes sense to furlough him. They, oh, 100%. I'm, I'm happy they didn't release him. Hopefully, when things open up, they'll bring him back. Uh, but he had a release a statement on Twitter saying, not, I'm not released. Um, they got furloughed because there's nothing going on for him to do. Right. It, it, it makes sense. I mean, you know, Gerald Briscoe, I mean, the dude's been in the business forever. He's got an eye for talent. Uh, you know, former twenty four seven champion, by the way, Mark. Put some respect in that. Yeah, name. exactly. Yeah, we gotta pay some respect for that. Was he a hardcore champion as well? Probably, probably, yeah. right? But anyway, you know, Gerald Briscoe, obviously, you know, a, a man that knows the business inside and out. Uh, you know, the people he's brought in, obviously, he's done a good job with that, with the talent that's on the roster today. Uh, you know, and yeah, sadly, there's no independent shows going on. But you know, of course, that's not the case for the future. Uh, you know, Joe Briscoe, hopefully he does come back and he'll keep doing a kick-ass job that he's been doing. In other news, talked about it last week, there won't be a W2K21 video game. They announced there's going to be another game. Well, they announced it this week, Mark. It's going to be called 2K Battlegrounds. Are you excited about this game? Well, I myself, I am not a gamer anymore, but if I was, I saw a little bit of the clips of it. No, no. I, yeah. <laughs> it's a hard sell nope. for me. No. Uh, you cannot get me into that. Maybe if I was a little kid, maybe, yeah. maybe there'd be an off chance that I'd be into it for about five minutes or so, <laughs> and then I'd move on my merry way. Yeah, I'm thoroughly disappointed. I'm not a big fan of those uh, arcade fighting games like the Mortal Kombat's. That's what it seems like it's going to be, only for kids, with the over-the-top animation, the... Uh, Cartoon like, if it's for kids, then great. Yeah. Then then awesome. You know, there's a market for that, capitalize on it. But you know, this is not necessarily a replacement or a substitute for what they had with WW2K. Uh maybe for 2K20, because again, I've heard some bad things about that. But you know, you know, WW2K has been uh, a solid video game for years for WW franchise, and to turn it to this, oh man. WWE 22 better be amazing. <laughs> they did something like this a, a years ago. They released a game off of the 2K cycle, WWE Legends of WrestleMania. Right. And it looks something similar to this in the fact that you jump really high when you get the power meter full, and but it was the Legends of WrestleMania. There's a, some sort of story arc. You follow these legendary matches of, of WrestleMania. A little cartoony. 
game wasn't that great. It was good. It wasn't that great. So that's what I was. This was like a Mortal Kombat version of WWE. That's what I was expecting. Something like that. This one just was like, no thanks. Unless you're a die-hard gamer guy, this just doesn't seem like it's going to be uh, my cup of tea. So thank you for saving me the uh, fifty bucks. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not paying fifty bucks for that. I wouldn't even pay twenty five dollars for that. I know it's supposed to be over the top, like cartoony, but they, they don't even look like them. The animation no. is, is, isn't even that great. No, not at all. Well, I, I, it's just garbage, garbage all around. More garbage from WWE. In other news, you know we're dying for competition, Mark. There's no sports, but we need some competition. While well, The Rock has announced he's bringing back the Titan Games for season two, it will debut May 25th. With an epic two-hour event on NBC, the competition will feature Olympic gold medalists, NFL Super Bowl champions, UFC champions, amongst others, Mark. NBC confirmed that all 13 episodes were filmed before the COVID-19 shutdown, so we'll get a full season of the Titan Games. Uh, Season one competitor, I think she was a semifinalist, Emily, I can't pronounce her last name, she signed to an NXT contract, so she got something out of it. Did you watch season one? You know, I have not watched season one, Putty, uh, truth be told. But, you know, it's funny. You say, you know, there's no sports going on right now. And my wife, you know, she saw a trailer for me. She follows The Rock on, on Instagram. What wife uh, doesn't? Watch... <laughs> yeah. I mean, The Rock, he's my man crush as well. So, yeah. you know, so we watch this this thing together. She's like, you know what? She's a big sports fan herself. And she's just like, you know what? I miss sports this much. I, I might have to watch this. Now, you know what? I'm there with you. You know, it, it looks like a cool one. You know, you I feel like whatever The Rock does is pure gold. Oh, absolutely. So there, I, I, I'm down to watch it. I watched season one. It was very good. It was like American Gladiators on the like, umpteenth level. Oh, wow. Okay. That's one way to sell it. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good show. It was actually entertaining. The the um, the games are challenges they have to play. I got tired watching them. I don't know how these guys are doing it. Oh, my God. I'm so out of shape. <laughs> um, but it's a good show. Season one. It's streaming now on NBC dot com on the app uh, definitely check it out the downfall is it'll be airing monday nights mark opposite a little show called monday night raw cool monday night raw bye yeah so the <laughs> the show's already struggling with rating because people are for some reason if they're home and doing nothing they're st- still not watching raw but now you have the titan games well, you have the rock show let's be real let's be real here for a second you, you talk about opposite. monday night raw no just... one has anything to watch right now monday night raw what have they been giving us though why are they they just assuming, hey, there's nothing else to watch right now. Let's watch you. Hey, we have Netflix. We have Amazon. We have Disney+. Plus, We have a lot of things that we could watch. And you're, you're the only live show going right now. And you're going to give us this? Give us a reason to watch. I think I was going to say this still later, but for some weird reason, we talked about this last week, how, or maybe two weeks ago, they're only allowed a certain amount of pre-taped shows. Right. So they're they live now, though. This week they weren't live at all. Raw and SmackDown were pre-taped. I thought, weren't they live? Like, what? Haven't they been doing live? Now I'm mixed up. I'm all confused. Last week, they were live. This week, they weren't. You can tell because they don't have the word live in the corner. It'll say Fox WWE Live or the WWE Live on Raw. They weren't live this week, Mark. So what are we talking about? What's going on here? Did they reach a new agreement? I'll have to look into this because now I was wondering why are they not live? Even still, though, even still with the WWE Studios and what they gave us at WrestleMania, which was obviously pre-taped, they still did a better job at bringing us in a bit for some of those matches. You're not doing anything. You're not even trying. A little harsh. uh, Harsh? Yeah. Preach about all the stuff, good stuff AEW is doing, Mark. I'll I'll, I'll let you do that. 
No, glad oh, but no. Well, okay, why, why don't you sit here and then tell me what you think WWE is doing correct, specifically Monday Night Raw? They're doing the best they can with the, what they got. Best they can with what they got. Really? Yeah. What, what do you hate yeah. about it? What do I hate? Boring. It's, it's work. For me, it's work. If it wasn't for this podcast right now, I would not be watching Monday Night Raw. Did you watch Raw? Anyone? I did watch Raw. Really? It sucked. Oh, okay. That's surprising. That's a first. Listen, I'm someone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Time out right here. Listen, I grew up a WWE guy. I've been a WWE guy for a long ass time. I still am a WWE guy. I have fought for Raw. Even when people tell me, dude, how can you like this crap? How, like, I can always find a silver lining in Monday Night Raw. It's been challenging for these past few weeks, for the past few months, I would say, to find a silver lining on here. It's on the level of when Baron Corbin was a GM. You're not liking Drew McIntyre as champion? I do like Drew McIntyre as a champion. He's He is probably the only thing that I'm liking about Monday Night Raw right now. I, I, I would have said I like the stable that they have with Andrade, Zelina, oh, yeah, Andrade, right. and that. Austin Theory. I would say I like that. But they are doing it so wrong as far as how they're building them up. Like They're losing these matches that they should be winning. They should be dominating. But it, it's just... The execution, like you, you see it coming, 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 and then it just falls out. Like there's no a proper build to them. It just doesn't make sense. Like I don't know who's writing this crap. Way off topic, but it's not TV takedown. We're still in the news, Mark. Let's end on some happy notes, please. You know all the stuff going on, kind of heavy and depressing. Let's end on some good news. Braun Strowman donated 1,000 meals to local hospital workers in Orlando, Florida. He reached out to two Orlando restaurants, Beefy King and Jimmy Hula's. The Orlando Health Hospital group shared a video of him announcing the contribution he made. Yeah, good for him. Good job. Ron Strowman. It's good to see somebody stepping up, do something positive for these frontline workers who need it. Especially food from Beefy Kings and Jimmy Hulos. I heard Jimmy Hulos was delicious. I don't know much about Beefy Kings. Well, listen, you know, he is a WWE champion. And when a WWE champion, uh, you know, as that, in that position, you have to be the guy. You have to be the one to step up and do deeds like this. And, you know, I'm glad to see Braun Strowman taking up that step, especially when he had some negative press going into WrestleMania with the comments he did on social media about the indie workers going out of work. Uh, so, you know, I don't necessarily know if it was Braun Strowman coming out of his own or if it was WWE saying, hey, man, you might want to do something to clean up your image. Either way, Braun Strowman does come out looking like a better yeah. person for this. So kudos. Either way, there's a thousand meals to the frontline workers in Orlando. So props to them. Congratulations. Good, good news, positivity. So we need more positivity in this world. Mark, we have an interview this week. That's right, and it's one that I did actually with. Uh, so fast uh, forward, right? Fast forward is boring. Wow, you are a dick. This is your show. <laughs> you know, you know, people, you know, advertise people to fast forward in your show. My God, and because I'm not on it for the next forty five minutes. Who taught you to be a host? <laughs> Conan O'Brien. Well, you heard him earlier tonight. Thank you. <laughs> now I'm just kidding, well, Mark. You're doing a great job with these interviews. Please take it away. Thank you. Uh, so I interviewed uh, a referee who's been around the block quite a bit, Chris Levin. Uh, as you know, he does a locker room detectives with Mark Adam Haggerty. Uh, so, you know, honestly, man, I, I had a I had a good chat with him about with that, that and with about refing in general because there are some things I did not necessarily know that went into that job, and uh, I guarantee if I didn't know, a lot of our listeners didn't know. So, guys, take a listen. What's up, everyone? It is me, your favorite actor, the Hollywood assassin, Mark Schwann, filling in for Abel yet again. But please, everyone, give it up 
for the kid ref himself, Chris Levin. How you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Ah, well, you know, quarantine life. <laughs> yeah. Making the best of it, though, right? Oh, of course, man. I'm learning, yeah. learning different things here. I'm interviewing people now, taking people's Look, jobs. Look, moving all up in the world. Yeah, moving up in the world, right? How you what's what's the old up? saying that they always say um, crisis and opportunity are the same word in Japanese? So look at you. I, I dig that. I dig that. I got to make that a t-shirt or something. How, you, how have you been holding up during all of this? You know, I've been doing mostly well. There was definitely um, a portion early on where I'm not someone who is very adept to sudden change. So it took me a while to to get used to all of that. But I think I'm over the hump mostly now. And I'm just trying to figure things out as best I can, like we all are. Now, I've been seeing, like, locally, there have been a lot of few different arena shows, empty arena shows, I should say. I'm not talking about WrestleMania, uh, WrestleMania or WWE or AEW, but, like, you know, local events. Have you participated in that at all? Yeah, my the last two events that I did before everything like, got put on a hard lockdown was uh, GCW, and that was on March 20th, so a couple weeks back. We did a empty arena event from the GCW Performance Center in, um, I think they're saying it was El Paso, Texas or something, but um, it was, you know, it was the Voltage Lounge in Philadelphia where we uh, typically run shows from. Got it. How was that experience working in an empty arena? So it wasn't my first time working in an empty arena, just by virtue of the fact that you're on the Indies Law. These shows are unintentionally empty arena events. <laughs> of course. But, um, but no, but like I had done studio tapings before through, um, through Beyond and uh, places like that. It's a different sort of feeling. It takes a lot for a performer to be able to turn, turn it on and go 100% when you don't have that frenetic energy that a crowd provides you know but um those events were something special because i think it was that wednesday where everything went weird all of a sudden like everything was building and like we knew there was a thing that was happening but we didn't realize at least i didn't and i think a lot of us didn't realize how much this was going to affect us Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden that wednesday hits and like in the middle of that um aew nxt time slot all of a sudden you're seeing Events are uh, shutting down and uh, leagues are canceling and Tom Hanks has coronavirus and everything just became very real very suddenly. Once Tom and, Hanks got it, that's when America was just like, all right, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I mean, he's that's our closest thing to, to Santa Claus or, you know, whatever religious deity you uh, may pick. That's Tom Hanks for us. Right. He, ever since Mr. Rogers passed, at least. And yeah, like once it became very real, we all of a sudden were faced with the prospect of life may not continue on like we thought it would be because we really didn't, a lot of us really didn't think there would be any interruptions at all. And within like a matter of hours, we kind of put together the whole, okay, so GCW, we're going to uh, throw together this uh, last minute uh, series of events. It, it was twofold. They put up a GoFundMe to collect donations to pay the wrestlers and all the performers that day. And it was also to give something back to the fans so that we all had something to rally together. And uh, Brett Lardy, the promoter, he gave an awesome speech talking about how we were the last ones left because at that point, every event was getting shut down. And it was a like it was a big emotional bonding experience. I mean, the GCW locker room already, as is, is pretty uh, tightly knit. Like you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of um, people talk about pro wrestling as a brotherhood. And that's not always the reality. And I think... In GCW, it is. It's a lot of people looking out for each other, everyone wanting the best from one another. 
and just knowing like, hey, we're kind of violinists at the uh, on the Titanic going down the ship right now, it feels like, you know, it was very, very eerie. It was a happy, sad kind of thing. We didn't know when the next time we would be able to step in a ring and do what we love and see all of our friends and all of that. But um, try to make the most of it while we we're there kind of thing. Have you been keeping in touch with everyone? I mean, sure, yeah, through social media, yeah. yeah. Um, some people more than others. I'm I'm a pretty introverted person, so I'm not always talking to everyone all the time. But, yeah, generally speaking, everyone's been keeping tabs through the Twitter uh, timeline and all that. When you guys were doing the show, I mean, it doesn't sound like you guys were really concerned about as far as, like, oh, could I possibly get this or anything like that. Uh, what safety precautions were taken, if any at all? Uh they were very minimal because, believe it or not, a deathmatch company, GCW, doesn't take a ton of safety precautions. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I know that I personally t- took precautions. Like, I, from then to now, I won't leave the house without um, a face mask. I won't touch anything without uh, washing my hands or using disinfectant or something like that. Other than that, the only uh, precaution was that the building we were in was limited to, legally speaking, how many people were allowed in it. Um, so it was entirely invite only, like you couldn't bring your, your, you know, your girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever. You couldn't bring, um, like some friends or wrestling students. It was very strict on who was actually allowed to show up, which very weird for GCW because normally it's like a big hangout, you know, it's, it's almost like a big, uh, like a big barbecue or a big get together every time we run a show. So running on a skeleton crew like that was very abnormal. Wow. You know, you mm-hmm. hear about from like the, from the, from like the athletes themselves, not to say you're not an athlete, but you know, from the competitors themselves. Oh God, I'm not an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very different, but how does it affect the referee? It, it's weird getting into it, you know, like it's almost like at times you're going through the motions of this performance without being able to jump fully into it because like you don't have everything that's normally around you to immerse yourself, you know, mm-hmm. um, that wasn't as much of a problem with uh, GCW because like, it didn't feel as much like as much of a pantomime then because of the fact that we were uh, live on IWTV broadcasting and the guys that you're in the ring with are going 110%. And the pe- there was a handful of people around the ring. Like if your match wasn't up yet, you were around the ring. Uh, so like kind of like what you're seeing on AEW every week. And so there was a little bit of something there that I was able to get into a lot more easily than if it was just your standard studio taping, you know? Right. Well, so obviously you work GCW. I know you work some different mm-hmm. promotions as well. MLW, uh, Shakara, and uh, yeah. Impact as well, correct? Yes. Well, formerly Impact. I left there in uh, December after two years. Got it. Am I missing anyone? Or? You know, on the indies, I work anywhere and everywhere I can. Like, there's a lot of great places. Like, I'm Flying V Fights out in Maryland. Who They're a theater company that are putting on pro wrestling events. And they're one of the best organized promotions I've ever worked with. I've always tried to approach everything I do and involved with in pro wrestling from a non-pro wrestling perspective. When I say I don't mean I'm discarding pro wrestling, I'm just trying to widen my perception of it. Like I don't just look at things in terms of um, like a shine, a cutoff, a heat, a hope, a comeback, a, a go home. I try to look at it in terms of theatrically, through literature, through music, because it's all storytelling to me. And I think there's great things that you can take from all of that. Do you and have a flying- background? A little bit. I did stage crew throughout like my entire school experience. So like I wasn't theatrically performing, but I was very close to all of it and watching it and just seeing how it all worked. And I I have a deep appreciation for it. And, um, you know, primetime pro wrestling out in Washington, D.C. is running 
um, these awesome sold out events like every month. Yeah, there, there's there's a bunch, and I'm sure I'm neglecting a few accidentally, like um, Zero One USA uh, Northeast up in uh, New England, run by one of my best friends, Anthony Green. Locker Room Detectives, which isn't a wrestling promotion per se, but we do put on wrestling matches occasionally. It's a uh, web series that I uh, co-created with Mark Adam Haggerty, which oh, I'm we'll sure we'll talk about. That. <laughs> oh, I definitely want to talk about that. <laughs> we'll definitely get into that. But you know, uh, talking about, the, obviously, you work for so many different promotions here. What are the differences between them all? Do they each have like a different style they want you to work as a ref? Oh, absolutely. And I appreciate you asking that. Because that's, I don't think that's something that most people would necessarily even stop to think about. Because I know, personally, I didn't until, like, the reality of it. Like, I realized what I was doing. That every promotion you work is a, there's a slightly different variance of uh, what's expected of you and how you're performing. For instance, in the ring at Impact and MLW is incredibly similar. Because they both, uh, they both are television products. But their aesthetic is very much a super indie style of high spots before rules, which I'm not criticizing. That's just, you know, that's just a style, a preference. It's neither right nor wrong. So like you, uh, you're very much uh, let everything go by and be loose about, about implementing the rules and things like that at, at impact MLW uh, versus a Chikara where it's more about personality and I'm able to, you know, ham it up a bit with my reactions and things like that. Versus a GCW, which is very super indie in the sense that they don't really care about rules. They even edge more towards like the ECW style of no rules. But when you strip the like the theatrical rules, because like the rules are fake. There aren't any rules. Wrestling isn't a sport. It's just we're we're there. Referee, I know, I know, it's shocking. Um, where referees, our purpose is we create the illusion of rules to to uh, keep the illusion that what we're doing is a sport. And at GCW, once that's stripped from it, because there are no rules, even in like the kayfabe sense, other than, you know, pinfall or submission, there are a lot of real life practical rules that involve the safety of the opponents, of the workers. Because when you're doing death matches, it's a given that if something can go wrong in a death match, it will, whether it's a spot or a bump or anything. And sometimes it just goes wrong and you need to think quickly on your feet and figure out a replacement or go to the next thing. And sometimes something goes wrong and there's a injury that could range from tape it up and continue to we need to stop the match. So there's a, there's a huge balance and every, every promotion you step into, what's expected of you is going to be different in terms of what you need to focus on. People don't really realize that. You know, I think a lot of fans, they just think the referee is just there to count you know, the one, two, three, you know, claim the victor. But, you know, you yeah. have a lot of responsibility in that ring. And, it, you know, being someone that's so young, too, I mean, is that like added pressure for you? For me, no. At this point in my life, not at all. It's something I enjoy because I'm, I'm 27 and I started when I was 15. So early on, absolutely, that was a huge pressure for me. I remember shortly before my first match, it was at Force One Pro Wrestling, the school that I trained at. In, uh, I started in 2007. This would have been in, in the spring, summer of 2008. And before that first match, one of the trainers who took – it was a guy who took himself very seriously. And he said, pulled me aside and was explaining to me how – are you know the wrestlers lives are in your hands as the official and he was very solemn about that and like i laughed because it was so over the top dramatic and he was like i'm serious and i don't think he did a good job of explaining it but i don't want to put the blame on him it was more an issue of my maturity you know not 
yeah, being able to take something seriously as a 15 year old child, um, as a normal 15 year old would. Yeah. But it's, it's scary. Like I remember one of the first, um, real brushes of that came when I was, when I was 15. Um, like the best, one of the best ways to, to go through anything I think is a, uh, trial by fire. Like if it doesn't scare you off, um, it really does help forge a, an ability in you and a determination to get through it. And I was the only referee on just a series of small events, uh, throughout South Jersey. And we had like a gimmick. It was Steve, the teacher versus Tommy force. And Tommy was one of my early mentors who took me around a lot of places, got me a lot of work. And Steve went to the top rope and he took an ill-advised bump and he landed on his head and he was knocked loopy. And there was supposed to be like a weapon involved with the finish and I was supposed to miss something and hit it. And it it, it all went wonky and Steve was concussed so he wasn't able to get through it. And as a 15-year-old, I came up with a very, very basic replacement spot on the fly of how we could make this work, achieve the same goals and all of that. And I remember it wasn't even like a thing of, okay, we need to do that. It was just me just going on autopilot and knowing, okay, this was our, this is what we needed to get to. How can we do that? And, you know, figuring it out on the fly and everyone in the back was hugely complimentary of me. It was one of my first times that I went to the back and everyone kind of rallied around me and everyone was like, you know, give me a pat on the back or a high five. And that kind of quick thinking has helped me a lot in my career, just being able to come up with um, alternative plans under pressure. Do you remember what that save was in that moment? So um, he was presented with a chalkboard eraser that was spray paint gold, and we, the idea was that it was like his like a cherished trophy for like, years of teaching or whatever. Like was the joke, and I was somehow supposed to be distracted. It, this match actually is on YouTube if you look. Uh, Steve, the teacher, versus Tommy Force. I was distracted, and when Steve got knocked out, somehow he accidentally kicked the um, eraser into the crowd, so he didn't have access to it. And I had directed him to use a textbook that he had brought to the ring instead of that. And they did a thing where, I believe Tommy brought him up for a suplex. Steve hit him with, like a back suplex. Steve hit him with the textbook in the head in a way that blocked me from seeing it. I hit the three and realizing that that wasn't like the intended finish or something, I, I turned to the crowd and picked up the textbook. I was like, did he hit this? And, you know, they all popped like, yeah, he hit it. And I reversed the decision. It was something to that extent. Oh, I mean, yeah, still part of the same exact effect as how it was planned. Just a little Exactly, bit yeah. Now, obviously, you've refed a lot of matches, different promotions. Can you necessarily rank your top matches, your top favorite matches that you've done? Sure. So it's my. I'm actually sitting right in front of a, uh, a spreadsheet right now. I've kept this since I was 15 years old of every single match I've ever refereed. So I've actually I've refereed as of uh, today uh, 2,342 matches. And wow. no big I, deal. I, I, I'm <laughs> I'm sure that there's plenty. I'm sure there's some that I'd be leaving out. But like when I think about big matches I've refereed, um, the first ever singles encounter, and to my to my understanding, though probably the only one was. Um, Ray Mysterio versus Loki at Jersey All Pro's uh, anniversary event a few years ago. That was incredible. Um, this, you know, like starting to watch wrestling very seriously in the early 2000s, like Ray, of course, is going to be one of my heroes. And being a Northeast indie guy growing up, Loki is one of my heroes. So it's like right now, like everyone works together, it feels like. Like if you're in NXT, like it wouldn't be shocking to see what evolve and then to see what impact or whatever, you know. Uh, but back then, everything was very separate. Like, if you were at WWE, we were not seeing you at this company. And to see 
like a crossover event, I guess you could call it like that. Like for me, that was really special. My first pay-per-view main event, um, Moose versus Austin Aries with Impact at Slamversary, that was really special. Sammy Callahan versus Tessa Blanchard was enormously special. And for me, that was the top most important match I've ever been with my entire career. Oh, man. Because of um, not only did Sammy have a big influence in my career, helping train me, helping me get out there. Like, I don't even know if I'd be in the wrestling business if not for Sammy. Wow. Uh, but it was a pay-per-view main event. It was for the World Championship. And it was the first ever mainstream pay-per-view to have an intergender match. And anyone who knows me knows that equality and civil rights are things that I'm are very important to my core as a human. And even though it's just pro wrestling and even though it's just a microcosm of all of the other discrimination that's happening in society against people because of who they are, where they're from, how they're born or whatever, just knowing that that was that pro wrestling was able to just overcome just, you know, that one little hurdle and become just a little bit more progressive and a little bit more inclusive was really awesome and being able to be there firsthand for it was uh, really special um if i could just add one more it would be um being asked to referee gail kim's retirement match Ooh. against tessa earlier that year that was also a enormously um special match to me like those are the things that doesn't matter which way your career goes like those are things nobody can ever take away from you you know no not at all especially you know going back to tessa blanchard and sammy Callahan, you know that's historic in wrestling yeah, yeah so absolutely. Everyone's going to remember that moment. And I'm sure Tessa Blanchard's not going to be the last. I hope she's not do, uh, to accomplish something like this. But the fact that you were able to raise her hand as a victor in that to, and for her to have the championship moment. That's well, huge. actually, uh, it wasn't – I'm sorry. It wasn't um, – it wasn't – maybe I misspoke. This was um, right before Tessa won the belt. This was when it was Tessa versus Sammy. It wasn't uh, – ah. did, I, did I say it was World Championship? My bad. No, but it was the first ever uh, intergender main event uh, in a pay-per-view, Sammy versus Tessa. And Sammy actually went over against expectation. Everyone thought Tessa was going to, which I thought, um, uh, dramaturgically speaking, was an even better story to tell that – Everyone is rallying around this feel-good moment, and this this big nasty character takes it away from her. And the whole time, he was trying to prove that he was better than her. And by virtue of the fact that she was able to keep up with him, even though uh, she lost, uh, Sammy's victory was very pyrrhic in the sense that proved what Tess was saying was right—that she could hang. And eventually, by the time she won the belt, that was right after I left uh, Impact. So, unfortunately, I wasn't there for that moment. But being able to see that she won it all was also a huge thing. That just like, as a friend from the sidelines, is something I supported a lot. Oh, absolutely. Now, you talked about Sammy Callahan as far as him helping you get into this industry. You wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. Can you dive a little bit more into that? Can you tell us exactly, you know, how that came to be, what happened there? Sure. So, um, I had my first match when I was 15, and that was probably as a few months after I started. I had started in the fall of 2007 at a local pro wrestling company 20 minutes from my house. Um, I saw their event, and I, I fell in love with it. I, it was, I was still in that smart mark phase where it's like anything independent is inherently better than the mainstream, you know? And the only independent wrestling I saw, this was like before YouTube really, was as big of a thing as it is. The only rest, independent wrestling I saw was like the Ring of Honor DVD releases and things like that. You know, I heard about this show 20 minutes from my home in Egg Harbor, New Jersey, and I, I go there and I, I love it. And I go home and I immediately scour their MySpace page and their WordPress website and soaking in all this information about all of these wrestlers I'd never heard of, for the most part, figuring out who they were, what they were about. 
And eventually I saw a post advertising uh, ring crew and uh, like street team. They needed help with like putting out flyers, setting up chairs, things like that. And, you know, as a child, I was the kid whose identity was um, informed and built upon the fact that I was a pro wrestling fan. I had all the toys. I watched all the DVDs. I read all the books and the magazines, played the games. And I know that in everyone's story, uh, there's always this, um, this moment of just complete fate that just by complete happenstance, they're able to join the pro wrestling industry. And I was like, oh, this is mine. This is my moment right here. And I went to the school and met Tommy Cairo, who ran the school, who's like, he's an old, old ECW name uh, from like 93, 94. He was the first one to have a Singapore uh, cane match. And he, you know, he brought me in and he, he like, he showed me his booking. Uh, he had like a notepad, like of like future shows and results and what he had planned and sponsorships and stuff. And was just like giving me a rundown. And I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing, you know? And I was there for a few months. I had my first match. Um, I trained there and eventually like I took some time off for like high school, <laughs> like high school got in the way. I was sick. Like by then I was stupid 16. school, right? Come on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like dumb stuff that doesn't matter. <laughs> and, um, after taking maybe like eight or nine months off, I saw that force one had come under new ownership. And one of the students that I, I didn't help train him per se, but like, right. Was when, as I was going out, he was coming in and like, I had showed him like how to take a bump and things like that. And then he was getting involved with owning it. And that was Johnny Calzone. And that was a guy who just like took to the business, like a natural with like, not only working matches, but like understanding the actual business end of things. And Sammy Callahan was brought in as the booker. And I started showing up again because I was, I was no longer um, like a burden that needed to be driven around. Like I'd gotten my like learner's permit. I could take like <laughs> my first car or whatever around the shows. And Sammy just took a liking to me. He said that, um, it was because I like, I knew etiquette, which was just, I, like, I wasn't an idiot. I was respectful as, and which isn't to say that I wasn't an idiot. I totally was an idiot and, and oftentimes still am like, there's so many mistakes I've made and continue to make, but, um, like I was trying and he appreciated that. And he started putting me on events and he started taking me to shows with him throughout New York and Maryland and Pennsylvania. And prior to that, I had never left the state of New Jersey in professional capacity. I had never worked outside events. And here I was, and Sammy Callahan was the one who taught me how to pump my own gas. Um, because, you know, in Jersey, we don't do that. I never had to do that before. One of the benefits um, of living in Jersey, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. I absolutely adore that. And he took me to... A handful of promotions, including um, 2CW. I was able to work with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who was like the first real legend I worked with. And he was awesome. He was literally in the ring in the middle of the match, giving me psychology lessons and teaching me why he was doing everything he was doing as he was doing it. And it was such an incredible learning experience. Like, okay, okay, ref, now I'm going to need you to bring me over here. And, uh, okay, I'm going to ask you to check me, ref, and we're doing this so we can bring the crowd back down a bit again so they don't get too tired so I can bring them back up. And, like, he was just, like, just talking to me normally about business as usual, what he was doing. And for him, that's just, like, another day. But for me, it was, like, wow, like, this is wild. Like, not only am I talking to Hacksaw, but I'm getting this incredible master class on, you know, psychology and all of that and match structure. And um, one of one of my favorite matches I refereed from that era was Sammy Callahan versus Rich Swan versus Pac versus Brody Lee, which is on YouTube. Which is like, what a star-studded! Yeah, show. I was about like, to say 
if you look it up, like it's incredible. Like I have this big, like, like this big, uh, I'm, I'm Jewish by ethnicity. So like anytime my hair grows out long, it like turns into this big Jufro and like it gets, yeah, I looked wild. Um, fans would always like catcall at me and call me like uh, screech and shaggy, things like that. But, um, but like that match, it's, it still holds up. It's awesome. Um, it's funny. I, I spoke to, to Rich Swan for the first time in a while, right after he left uh, WWE and when he joined Impact. And he was telling me even when he was in WWE, when he was feeling down about where he was at or opportunities he was getting or whatever, he would go back and would watch that match on YouTube. And it would kind of reignite that passion of like, this is what wrestling can be. This is what I can do. This is what I can bring to the table. And and other than that, like, uh, like yeah, there's a lot of great ones. Uh, there's another really fun three-way with... Sammy, it's also on YouTube. I uploaded it. Uh, Sammy versus Rich Swan versus Alex Cologne. And like, that was like the crew of people who drove around and I traveled with a lot. And, you know, like three friends in there having a match, like the match they want to have and being able to work it with them and learn from them. And it, it was incredible. It was invaluable. And Sammy uh, took me eventually to CZW. Um, it was my first time working in the CW arena, first uh, time working in CZW, which was. You know, despite what CZW has become or what it always was, uh, it was at the time the biggest opportunity that I ever had professionally in wrestling. And it just it led to so many great things. It led me to meeting so many great people from there. And, you know, I've talked to this about people and maybe my career would have turned out the same way. Maybe it would have been, you know, slowed down. Maybe it wouldn't have happened at all if it wasn't for Sammy. And I can't say for sure. But either way, I'm so extremely grateful for him intervening in my life to lead it towards, you know, to, to let it come out the way it has. No, it sounds like, yeah, I mean, that led to so many different opportunities for you and obviously to the road that you're on right now. Now, you were on the road with him quite a bit and uh, you were a minor at that time. But, you know, how, how were your parents with that? So I actually, so by the time I was on the road with Sammy, it wasn't until I was like just 18. Okay. Um, prior to that, anytime I was on the road, it was always with um, Tommy Force. And my parents were fine with that because like they had met um, Tommy and Tommy doesn't wrestle anymore. He was a, a worker in the, the 90s under, he was an Iron Mike Sharp student who was like the premier trainer in New Jersey throughout the mid to late 90s. And they were always fine with that because... Uh, Tommy Force is like the most like the, the kindest, most straight laced old school guy you could ever think of. So because of the fact that I would only ever travel with him to like local events that were no more than an hour away, they were fine with it. Um, so like, and that was probably a big part of why I took a break from like when I was in high school, you know, for like it was like cumulatively less than a year. But just because like my parents were going to be driving me around. I wasn't to like all these like weird wrestling shows and I wasn't, uh, you know, I'm way out in like Atlantic city and there weren't a ton of workers around me that I could just meet up with like, Hey, I'm like, Hey, let me just meet up with this 15 year old kid to get some right to wrestling shows, right. you know, <laughs> like looking back, it's all so strange, but it all seems so normal at the time. <laughs> that's a, well, that's a, I think a perfect uh, description of wrestling. It's just also weird, but so normal at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter what age you are. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing that we do. Like, um, Emil, Emil J, he's a good friend of mine in the wrestling business. He's a ring announcer and commentator at CCW and uh, GCW and a handful of others. And he lives 20 minutes away from me, right, in uh, Brigantine. So we hang out a lot. And I've, I've known him since I was a teenager as well. And we were on a show together right before everything went wild, maybe a month or so back. And we traveled together very frequently. And we were just kind of standing in the locker room. And he, he like, iggies me. And he's like, he's like, you ever just, like, stop and, like, 
like it's very easy to take for granted everything since we've all been doing it so long but like just stop and like like look around and see all of the strange things that are happening and all of the bizarre interactions and what people are doing and try to like put that in context of how weird that is like <laughs> for society in general and, and he goes i want you to do that for now he's like i do that every show i want you to start doing that as well and um since then i've been trying to and it's just it, it, it's easy to um to uh be escaped by the fact that wrestling is weird it's like um that meme there's a meme that was going around on like the on facebook uh through like the wrestling circle of talking about how in Tiger King, uh, Joe Exotic might not sound as, and he might not look as crazy to you as he does to the public at large because of the fact that you're in wrestling, and he kind of just completely fits that mold, you know? He'd be a mid-carder. Like, He'd be a mid-carder for sure. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Joe Tox is a star. He's a star. Um, but, no, but, like, yeah, like, there's so many things that you just take for granted because, like, of where we come from. But, like, it's objectively so weird. <laughs> No, but that's what makes it so much fun, though, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Absolutely. Variety's the spice of life. Imagine if wrestling was just normal. Oh, <laughs> like, that would no. suck. I would hate that. That would yeah. be, be awful. Exactly. You know, um, eventually things are going to get back to normal. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully sooner rather than later. You know, but obviously there's a lot of economic repercussions that real-world companies are facing, but so is professional wrestling. Some question marks are going to be there. Like, you know, is every promotion going to open back up? Can they? And, you know, even like the bigger ones, they're talking about laying, you know, letting some people go. Is there any concern about that at all for you or from amongst your peers right now? There's a lot of uncertainty. And of course, it's, you know, it's concerning. But I think a lot of us are trying to not think about the things that we can't control. You know what I mean? Right. And because it's also unprecedented, like we could speculate all day. And like after that first Wednesday, when things got really weird, I remember talking to people and my forecast was like, I mean, I think this will probably be like a two to six week thing at most. And everyone was like, yeah, that sounds about right. And then just like, it, it just keeps, it's, it's just so unprecedented. You know, the, the closest um, thing we had to this is, is maybe nine 11 because the entire country at large is affected by the same awful thing at once. But you know, even nine 11, like, the immediate effects of it had dissipated within a week. And they obviously, there's still things that we're feeling to this day with tightened airport uh, security and things like that. But it, it's just so unprecedented and such a thing that you would never think has even happened to you that it's just like, I know me personally, I'm just trying to take it as one day at a time. I'm not even trying to make the mistake of forecasting anything. I'm just seeing where it goes and doing what I can to so go there, with the there uh, no, like, There's like no strings and like, you know, uh, post-its around in your room or anything like that, right? No conspiracy theories? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. You're I'm not, not there not yet. Big... Okay. <laughs> no. One you more... know, I, 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 uh, I have um, passing in, like a casual interest in conspiracy theories, but not like as someone who believes in them, just more like, like, oh, I find this like an interesting train of thought. Like, I, I, do, I write for Ripley's Believe It or Not, and I love going down weird rabbit holes all the time. But <laughs> more often than not, I am a passive observer, more so than I am a follower when it comes to that sort of thing. All right, good. Well, maybe we'll give it one more week then with that. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, what you do as a referee here. You know, obviously there are a lot of referees, and you've definitely made a name for yourself in how does one stand out as a referee? Um, well, if you were to ask, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ox Baker, but he was a uh, legendary worker from the 50s and 60s who did the uh, heart punch as a finish. And he was, uh, if you ever watched Escape from New York, he, he fights Kurt Russell like in a wrestling ring in that movie. And I, I uh, was working with Ox a lot uh, toward the end of his life uh, when he was 
he would just be like the visiting legend at PWS because he lived locally and he his mind was a bit addled and he wasn't completely all there but you know he would come backstage and have fun and I didn't know what it would give me, but he was like a guy who had been doing this like since before my parents had been born. So I decided to ask him his advice for being successful as a referee, just to hear what he had to say. And his advice was, he was like, he was like, you gotta, you gotta do something like when you, when you count, raise your hand and shake it a bit, just like make yourself stand out. And as much of everything I'd been taught as a referee, which is like, you don't want to be noticed and all of that. So I just kind of chalked it up to like, like a difference in time, like in his generation, that was what was okay. And, you know, things have changed. So just thanked him for his time. And I walked away and then he came up to me like 20 minutes later and he's like, hey, kid. And mind you, he's like in his 80s. And he's like, hey, kid, are you athletic? And I'm like, I'm not really. But like just for the sake of conversation, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, can you do a backflip? And I was like, maybe. And he goes, next time you're on a show, like a little one, it doesn't matter. When they do the finish, I want you to climb up to the to the second rope, and I want you to hit a backflip and count to three count, okay? No. I was like, you got it, sir. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, like, that he was, like, totally in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, like, he was, like, he was, like, totally ribbing me, you know? Like, Sammy brought that story up to me. We were in Mexico City, like, uh, last year, and he brought that story up to me. And just, like, <laughs> but, um, so my experience was, I would, uh, I've, I've never been a person who, who craves the spotlight. I'm not... It's funny, like a lot of the endeavors I involve myself with, like, um, you know, with writing, with wrestling, with locker room detective stuff, it benefits you to have, have that audience watching. But that's not necessarily something I've always concerned myself with. I, you know, I always did stage crew in school, we were talking about earlier, because I like being in the background. I don't need that much attention. And as a referee, someone who doesn't need that attention is going to be successful because you are an auxiliary player. And your role is to support the story that's being told um, in the ring. And if you are too flamboyant or too ostentatious or anything, it's it's going to be a distraction. And for me, being the fact that we were talking about earlier, how I like to take outside sources, I like to look at how I, I spent a lot of time thinking about how I could contribute to matches more so than just the standard uh, you know, the helping the illusion of it, that sport, facilitating co- uh, communication, making sure everyone's safe, things like that. And I was thinking of how, like, as a dramatic, um, dramatically speaking, we're there to enhance what's happening. So I took the theory of if you ever, if you ever spend any time around like a toddler and like they, like toddlers just fall all the time because they're dumb. That's what toddlers do. And they like, they're like, they'll <laughs> fall and like, and like they'll look at you and they'll, um, their, their reaction will be kind of confusion at the fact that they fell. It's like they, they gauge their response to how you're responding. So if you're freaking out about the fact that they fell, they'll start crying. If you're like, hey, you're fine, get up. They'll be like, oh, okay, I'm fine, and get up. And I think the audience looks at referees the same way because we are a third party that's in the ring that's not taking directly involved with the action. Like we're not getting – at least usually we're not getting thrown around and all of that, but we are reacting to what's happening. And if I'm treating everything like it's wild, then nothing is wild. If I keep a very, you know, subtle, stoic, professional, like, you know, face on and all of a sudden something happens and I like show, um, I express concern or shock or, or outrage 
then it helps sell that because it's like, oh, he's he's not normally like that, you know. Like it's like when they say uh, when you're on an airplane, if um, you see the normally stoic flight attendants panicking, then you know there's something wrong. Uh, and I, I try to do that. And just me as a person, I have a, a very expressive face with my eyes and my mouth. That's just just being. That's just who I am. That's not. And I decided I could take that and insert that in select places to to help enhance the story. And it, you know, part of it was just nature of how I am. Part of it was, I think this will add to it. And it seems like a lot of people are fond of it. Um, I, I get a lot of fans who approach me and tell me that they have a lot of fun with my facial reactions or things like that. But it, it's always like caution with like, you're not like being so much that you're taking away from the show. You're just, just adding a bit to it, which, which means a lot to me because I'm in a position that I, you know, referees don't always get that opportunity to add so directly to the enjoyment of someone's experience. And even if it's in a minor way, and like, I know um, it's always very hit or miss with people. Like if you were to talk to one of my mentors, Jason Nighters, he's a WWE official. He'll, he'll tell you all day that it's way too over the top for the style that WWE does, which, you know, which is fine is if I was at WWE, I wouldn't do that style. Like we're saying earlier, you curtail it towards who you're working for. When I was at impact, it was, it was very hit or miss because like, I remember one time Bob Ryder, who uh, he was working uh, go position, which is our, which was Impact's version of Gorilla, like right before you go out. He pulled me aside and he was like, "Hey, like tone down the facial expressions." And then one of the agents pulls you aside and says, "Hey, for this next match, like this is gonna be wild, like be wild with it." And it's like I have these conflicting directions. I don't know what to do. What and, do you do at that point then? Okay, so this was the the second ever. Um, thanksgiving uh day match that i did with impact um and i I guess i'll rewind just a little bit uh the first week that i was brought into impact it was november of 2017 all the referees had been let go or chosen to leave so it was a whole new team pretty much except for johnny bravo who's the only one who had stayed involved and he was like at the time the junior most official and all of a sudden he's the senior official uh myself and brandon toll and harry d were brought in that first week in ottawa and it was bound for glory and we did like a week of tapings and like on the second day or third day they did the impact um oh i'm blanking on the name the they call, i know they they changed the name when i was there to like the eli drake uh turkey trot but prior to that like they had done a stipulation mostly every year where there would be a big gimmick match usually like a like a multi-man match sometimes a singles where whoever lost would have to wear the turkey suit and after the first day or two abyss just kind of took to me and he saw that i was just animated and expressive and he he came up to me and he was an agent at the time and he told me that he felt i'd be the best choice because i was the best like actor of that group to referee that match and like nobody was treating this match like a priority at all like it was very much like uh, okay this is our like the segment's a day off like we don't even care about anything just like go out no this is for the thanksgiving episode barely anyone watches just guys just go out have do some gaga have some fun and they decided to rib me which was um so i'm holding the turkey i was told to go out there and hold the turkey suit and i was just told by everyone like be completely stoic you need to treat this with like the sense of gravitas as if you're holding the nwa world WWE championship like you need to be really serious about that and i mean if someone tells me that i'm not that i'm gonna do it <laughs> and they i went out there and during the intros and stuff like the most you might ever have to hold like a belt or a trophy or whatever 
would probably be in the range of three to maybe five minutes on the high end. And I don't know if it was just because of all, it was because of all the entrances. It was because of commercial breaks and it was because they were having fun in the back. But like I ended up holding this Turkey suit for legitimately 15 minutes Oh my god! and they were in my ear trying to break me, like, you know, trying to like make me laugh, smile. And I just wouldn't do it. You know, like when, when I, when I'm out there, I'm, I'm out there. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And they started feeding me cues of like goofy things to do with the turkey soup because I had my hand propped up through the head to hold it up. But I also gave me the ability to use it like it was a puppet. So like I started like anytime a heel would come by me while I was holding it, like I would peck at them. <laughs> and, and like, and like, I would like just like silently um, have uh, the, the turkey's head, like turning around and looking at people and like watching the heels go back and forth and, um, and things like that. And everyone was just, they were cracking up. So eventually it came, uh, the next year was the second uh, one of those. And it was the first time I'd ever seen in a script where they had written in who was to referee the match. Because usually they, we just figured it out that every, like every day, like every morning, day of, we would get with an agent and figure it out. And it said that they specifically wanted me to do it. And Bob had said like, hey, you need to tone that stuff down. And then someone else uh, had said like, Hey, you need to like, like, this is like your time, like to be a goofball kind of. And I decided it was one of those times it was better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So I just kind of went all out and like, it was such a gimmicky match. I was doing spots. And I remember uh, we were, at, it was at the time when Scarlett Bordeaux before she was wrestling there and she was coming out to the ring. And like the, the gimmick was if she came out, everything had to stop because like, it'd be like a cartoon, like your jaw falls to the floor and like you're drooling over her. And a lot of times pro wrestling makes the mistake of they give you very – okay, so I won't say it makes a mistake. They, they give you very little instruction, and it's like, okay, you just need to be distracted by her. Now, that's a very vague direction, be distracted, and there's a lot of ways you can take that. And it's one of those things where if you take it the right way, cool, you did every – okay, that's exactly how it's supposed to go. If you take it the wrong way, it's your fault because you decided to take it in a different direction even though you weren't given clarity. And I just decided to be an over-the-top maniac about it. And, like, I climbed on the ropes. Like, I had my mouth open. My, my tongue was hanging out. I was just being ridiculous, absurdly absurd, you know, like, like a wolf in, like, a Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh, and I remember I got in my ear. And I was like – I wasn't – I didn't necessarily plan to do it. A lot of things, it's just like I know I'm going to react. And then it just what felt right in the moment. And in my ear, all of a sudden, I, they buzz in. And they say, hey, uh, keep doing that. We're going to get a close-up on you, and which is wild because, like, that doesn't happen. And they, you know, they had a big close up on me acting like a maniac and all of that. I'm like pulling at my collar and all that, like wiping sweat from my forehead, going nuts. And we get to the back and Bob pulls me aside and I'm like, oh, God. Right. (laughs) And he goes, hey, I remember what I told you about toning down the facial expressions out there. And I go, yes, sir. And he goes, forget I ever said it. Keep doing you. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And it it works. I mean, you put her over big time by doing that. Yeah, I was just trying to have fun with it all, and yeah. it was fun. A lot of people put me in the the category of being like more of a gimmicky ref, which it's it's funny because I've never I never sought out to be a gimmick ref. I just I I've always appreciated the work of more straight laced officials, like um, discounting his heel run, but like my favorite is like Nick Patrick. I think if pro wrestling was real, that's what a referee would look like, and that's how they would act. Um, John Cone is another one who's an incredible official, and I've always patterned myself after these straight laced officials and just sometimes you know my my weird personality slips out a bit and you know it's something i'm happy to tone down if need be but it seems like a lot of people like it so 
No, it's, it's fine. definitely working. Right. You know, that's the thing. I mean, especially now, there's no written rule per se. You know, I think what automatically helps a person shine is when they're true to themselves. You know, and, yeah. I, and that's that's branding right there. When you're yourself, mm-hmm. that's your brand. Yeah. So, and no one else can I, take that away from you. Yeah, exactly. I just I just I just try to be me and I, I, I have I have a warped sense of humor. I'm silly and irreverent. Um, there's a lot of weird things that I have high interest in and by, by weird things I mean like like the things I write about. Like uh, any ninety nine percent of the time my articles are based off of two things. Whenever I write article Ripley's or for Wrestling Inc. or whatever. It's rather I come across a story that I feel like I have a unique insight toward or I like I want to sh- I want to present in my own way or if I have a question that I can't find the answer to immediately I start doing the research and I just turn into an article um like um one my probably my one of the most read articles I ever did was um uh, Mexico's most notorious serial killer responsible for upward of 50 uh homicides was a woman who was a professional wrestler she was a luchadora and I did an article on that, which is what caught Ripley's attention. I did a virtual that, and I've been working with them for about two years now. Oh, wow. And yeah, just like weird things like that, you like you wouldn't think of. Because my my thought was when I, when you read that, every single article I found it always mentioned her wrestling career, but like as like just as like a gimmicky thing, like oh yeah, she was a wrestler by day and murderer by night, but it, it didn't talk about her wrestling career. And I started thinking. What does a serial killer's wrestling career look like? You know, like so I started exploring that. I started talking to people who worked with her to dig into her backstory. So yeah, I just I'm just authentically my weird self. <laughs> no, I think that's amazing. It's clearly working out. No, now you mentioned before about locker room detectives. Yes, uh, I definitely want to dive into this. So you know, it's you and Mark Adam Haggerty. Yes, brilliant mind for the business. Someone who's actually knows a lot about marketing <laughs> absolutely mark right now he actually has a 90 minute um a social media seminar that he normally goes around the country doing these and he put it online for people to buy and it's it's been getting great reviews it's, it's awesome it's a great if you want to know how learn how to market yourself and how to use social media in a way that's beneficial to you that, like that's beneficial not just like for wrestlers it's beneficial for anyone in today's world yeah, he's, he's a genius with that say that yeah it's good for anyone to to learn how to do you know, especially if you're an entrepreneur you're starting your own business and i, mm-hmm. I would like to say you know we're freelancers you know and you know it's very much marketing right there and social media it's definitely important to know and uh, put yeah. the mind of uh, you know a genius at it like mark adam haggerty so obviously that helps you know having someone like that work with you for locker room detectives can you tell us how this came to be so um the first time um i met mark um like we had we had met in passing a few times but when he joined shikara he didn't really know much of anyone and we did shikara a few times and again me i'm not it's not that I'm not friendly. I'm just – it takes me a while to warm up to people. And we did a small indie show after he, he joined Jakara. And Mark, like, had this plan to turn us into friends where he went up to a photographer and was like, hey, capture a, a photo of, um, of uh, Chris and I if you can. And that night we would just, like, start joking around and goofing around while I was in the ring and while he was ring announcing during entrances, you know, like while we're waiting for people. And – it was that first night that we really started interacting that I don't know who, but one of us made a joke that we should start a a seventies detective series where we solve like mysteries in locker rooms that really don't need to be solved. And like we were talking about minor things like someone's elbow pad is missing or they can't find wrist tape before they go out. And it was it was just a joke. And then someone got you know, Mark uh 
took the photo that someone uh, had taken and he put it online and he left like a really nice uh, caption about working with me and and it was probably the, to date one of the last nice things Mark has ever said about me. <laughs> so hold that <laughs> you to know. your heart. <laughs> yeah, like I, you know, as best friends are want to do. Um, but we we started talking about more and more, and then we had a long road trip, and not long after that to Chicago. And I'm always about carpooling with people to you know save money on gas and whatnot, get to know each other better, learn something about the business, have fun. And I asked him who he wanted to go with, like if he wanted to go with me. He said, yeah. And he was like, I don't know anyone. Could you pick uh, like a couple people that you think would be like cool to ride with? And we ended up, I ended up asking Still Life with Apricots and Pears and Icarus. Uh, and we started a group chat. That was like a year and a half ago. And we started a group chat from that. And it never, like we still talk into it every day. Um, it like built lifelong friendships. And up and back, we were joking about, you know, like what we could do with this show. Like, could we actually make it? And then like, we started talking about more and more, and then eventually we had Chikar was doing like a private event in Esopus, New York, which was like a long drive away, like upstate New York, and it was like in this beautiful, um, like a park almost. And I was like, "Yo, we we have so much like so much of an opportunity to like shoot something unique here because like when do we ever get the opportunity to be in Esopus, New York, in this uh, in the, all this beautiful green? Um, let's film like we always talk about. Let's actually film it." And we didn't really know what we were doing, and uh, not much has changed. But <laughs> we just uh, we went there and we just like filmed a goofy thing, and like we didn't even know the plot until that car ride up. Which is a lot. A lot of times that's true for a lot of episodes. We'll just take a long trip and we'll look at where we're going to be and who's going to be there with us, and think, what can we do? That's silly. Like one episode, um, we were at a baseball stadium and. Mark, uh, he always uses like a jewel, like one of those vape things, like, like not, pen, oh, yeah, but yeah. like, uh, you know, those jewel carts and he, he's a maniac and he always loses it every, you know, every few minutes. And a lot of times it's just because I hide it from him to see him panic. So we decided to like do an entire episode about that or, and, and then other times like, we'll like, we'll come up with something really high concept. Like we recently, I don't want to give too much away, but we just finished filming our, the, a remote episode where everyone is locked in their home. And you saw the social distancing match at DCW with Jimmy Lloyd and Joey Janelle, and we did our own spin on it called a quarantine match, which I don't want to get into it, but it was an idea, and I had in my head exactly how it would work, and it seemed ridiculous, and we filmed it, and it worked out exactly right, mercifully, and I'm really excited for how the world's going to react when we uh, release it. But um, sometimes we have really abstract thoughts, or like, a few weeks ago, we did a wrestler's court, which the whole premise of it was we want, didn't want to film it like a regular episode. We wanted to film it like a daytime court TV appearance. And it's like uh, some uh, Sidney Bacabella, who uh, was on trial for crimes he committed in our first season. And it's, it, it's so, it gives us so much room just to do whatever we want. Like, it, it, just so much variety. It can be talking hey, uh, Killian's here, and there's no one else we really want to film with today, but we really like Killian. Let's just hang out with him and see what happens. Uh, Killian McMurphy. Or it could be, okay, we're going to get everyone together, and we need this scene, we need that scene. There's a lot of variety. Or, I mean, we, we did a um, – the most ambitious thing to date we've done was our live uh, event that we threw. We were driving home from a show, and this was probably around in the fall. And I go, hey, are we, like, doing anything for New Year's? And Mark was like, I don't know. I was like, you want to throw a party? And he's like, yeah. And I go, do you want to – stream it live and make it like a live episode of locker room detectives <laughs> and mark was like yeah but i and we we ended up throwing it in his house but he demanded he's like i want to have 
wrestling matches on it. And I was like, in your apartment? And he's like, yes. And I was like, I have no idea how we'll do that, but okay. <laughs> and it's on YouTube if you want to watch the whole thing. And it's – don't get me wrong. It's definitely um, – there's, there's definitely things that we could have – that walking away from it, we know to improve. Like it's, it's definitely rough around the edges, but like it, it worked. It's, and I'm, I say that shocked and completely shocked that we had a two hour, it was two hours long and it was a mixture of scripted and unscripted elements. So like maybe we'll start the show and we'll introduce everyone and then they'll go to a party game. Then we'll come back and we'll find out that um, the guys, the bad guys, Herman Crab and Crawdad, who were invited to our party because they're arch nemesis, they somehow sneaked in. And then we catch them. And then, okay, we're going to find out how they got in. And then it cuts to a like an unscripted party game that was happening. And then we come back and it's like, okay, we're interrogating people. And okay, we got we want to keep interrogating everyone, but first it's time for a match. And all of a sudden we do a match. And like it was like the weirdest variety, two hour variety. Uh, event you could ever imagine and i loved every second of it. i can't wait to do it again we were going to do one for fourth of july but now everything's kind of in the air so oh, hopefully that could still happen hopefully we're, yeah we're still a little bit away from that <laughs> a bit yeah don't and do I mean, that to at, me at don't at tell its... me we're gonna be here again until july <laughs> at its core locker room detective is just people in the business having fun and letting their hair down and being goofy uh with one another and you you would never expect the people we get who want to play. Because it's not just like our close and personal friends. Like we've gotten Scott Steiner on the show. We've gotten Nick Gage on the show. That was actually one episode where um, we have that one on YouTube. All of it airs on IWTV now, but our first uh, six we released on YouTube. And episode five was How to Be a Man. And so me personally, I've always dealt with this struggle of, you know, society has a very set standard of what it means to be a man and to be masculine and i never really conform to that i'm not someone who really cares about being tough or macho or doing sports or whatever i just i like to do the things i like to do um so i guess in that sense you could say i was um kind of ambivalent about any sense like asserting my sense of gender like i'm a guy but like i don't really care about these other stereotypes and uh, you know, people always called me kid ref or baby ref or things like that. And I lean into it as the joke, but like we want, I wanted to do something where it asked the very serious question of like, what does it mean to be a man? Like, how can you be a man if, you know, like everyone says it has to be this way and that doesn't go, that goes against what you think it should be. And in that episode, we were able to go around and get like Scott Steiner to teach me about how he thinks that it, you should have to be a man, <laughs> which according to Scott Steiner was, I need to, um, I need to experience the nectar of woman's juices. Like he said some wild shit like that. Oh my God. Or like, or, or, and, and Nick Gage told me I needed to tear it up in the bedroom. And like, these are all things that are valid ways of being a man, but it's not the only way of being a man. And, yeah. and you know, like, so we, we have a lot of leeway to explore things as we want to explore them. And I love that. Oh, and um, in the locker room detectives universe, Rhino is running for president. I hope, and, um, I hope he wins. <laughs> Oh, as of right now, yes. Um, as of the last episode, which aired on um, April 2nd on IWTV, he is the president-elect. But he's dealing with a scandal because footage has leaked of him pile-driving a woman. <laughs> you know what? It, it's always footage of pile-driving a woman that could halt your career real fast. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because, like, the people who you expect not to care at all, like, they have the most fun with it. Because, like, how often does Rhino get asked to be, like, a goofball like that, you know? No, and he, he's funny. He, he leads – yeah, he leads into it and he loves it. Anytime we're together, we film or um, 
I, we were at a, a show primetime for wrestling and like Joey Ryan was there. And like, I know him from impact in the Indies, but like, I didn't know him well enough to like ask him to be in it. And he came up to me and he's like, so you guys uh, shoot some stuff. Do you want to do something? And we ended up doing a scene with that. Just like, it's fun. It's, it's just harmless fun. Yeah. And I can tell from what I've seen, you know, everyone's having a good time doing it. I mean, how can you not? It just looks like a blast in general. Yeah. And I, I think that goes through the screen. The, I think it's the fact that it's so authentic. Like, I don't act. I'm not a good actor. I get, when I referee, all I do is react with facial expressions. Oh, acting and unlock the detectives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's splitting hairs. But, like, if you were to give me a dramatic monologue, I'm sure I could get through it. But, like, I'm not great at that i'm just like a locker room detective it's just i'm not being a character i'm just being a amped up version of like myself like mark and i we're we're, we're both just monsters we're just lunatics and we just we just unleash that on, on camera and act like psychos well you guys obviously have very good chemistry it's going a long way uh can you just tell us real fast where we can find locker room detectives Sure. So the best contribu- contribution Mark has ever made to the series, uh, which was a surprise to me, was so we called ourselves we call ourselves Locker Detectives, and on the very first episode, he introduced our nickname as being the Locker Dicks, which anyone who who's familiar with like like pulp like you know magazines or books from the '30s knows that like like Dick Tracy, it's an old school nickname for a detective is a dick. But also throughout the show, like. The strength for us is we don't need to come off strong since he's a ring announcer, I'm a referee. We can we can lose fights. We can look like idiots. We can be goofballs. We can be jerks. And it makes sense because we're locker dicks. So uh, <laughs> the first time I saw that, I realized, like, oh, that's gold. And Mark oh, didn't even tell me. He just, like, I watched the first episode after he edited it, and it had that. And that's where you can find us on Instagram and Twitter's at locker dicks. Awesome. Well, Chris, we have to take it back to the studio. Uh, we still have a whole show coming up here, but you're hanging around for the last call, right? Absolutely. All right, we'll get to that. Back to the studio. Hey, this is Kid Ref Chris Levin. Thank you for listening, but we're not done yet. Stay tuned until the end of this episode for Last Call. It's time for this week's TV Takedown. Yo, guys, seriously, if none of you have checked out Locker Room Detectives before with Chris Levin and Mark Adam Haggerty, please check them out. It is a riot. Uh, And that's not all we have with Chris Levin. We do have him back for Last Call at the end of the episode, so stay tuned for that. All right, Mark, a lot of stuff happened this week on TV Takedown. We just started talking about the previous segment. The floor is yours. The floor is mine. So... You know, my TV takedown for the week, there, there, there were some good things that happened in wrestling, I would say. It, didn't, it wasn't necessarily all bad. But, you know, my TV takedown, I have to say, the one thing that really stood out to me this whole past week, it might surprise some people here, I, I got to go with Dr. Britt Baker. Oh, okay. Did you watch AEW Dynamite? No, Matt Singer was on. But I saw that I'm a big Rebel fan, so I saw the video segment with Rebel on it. Yeah, Reba, so Rebel. Yeah, Rebel was on there. So, you, you know, I, I couldn't help but think, uh, of, you know, a few weeks ago when you're talking about, you know, SmackDown with your TV takedown about Bailey being a role model, you're buying into the hype. And we had a little debate about, you know, what a role model should be. This is the role model I'm talking about with Britt Baker, what she's doing. Excuse me, Dr. Britt Baker. She is the heel role model that I wish Bailey could be somewhat similar to. You know that that whole segment that she shot in her in her uh, office in her de- um, as, as a dentist, you know, belittling Rebel, who is her makeup artist, talking about things that you know 
her role model tip of the week or whatever you want to call it. You know, it, it just screams. Don't be, don't wear glasses. Don't be fat. What are those? Right. It, it just ripping on Tony. You know, it, it, it was just great, man. Like that, that's like the, the type of role model heel shit that you want to see from something to, to get that heat going. And, you know, like I know Britt Baker, I mean, she's, she's got some heat from fans beforehand. Like they weren't necessarily buying into her gimmick or whatever, or they weren't necessarily buying into her, her in-ring style. But you know what? She's catching along with this. You see her being a lot more comfortable in this role, and she is playing it to perfection, man. I dig it. I like it. I wish Bailey could do some of it, but it, it, it's just a different league. What's her beef with Tony Schiavone? Honestly, you know, I, I think from a real standpoint, I think they are actually friends. You know, yeah, I but think Tony actually helps. I, I think it's just, uh, honestly for her, it's it's, it's a it's easy, a crutch. Easy target. Yeah, keep, uh-huh. yeah, it's an easy target. You know, he's been interviewing her. Uh, I, I think it's just been a crutch for her. Uh, but you know it's easy for her to use. She's using it and she's captivating on it. And she's her, her character is definitely developing more and more and more. It's making me more interested in her and AEW women's division. So obviously, I talk around with you sometimes. But you're, you're clearly very passionate about AEW. Yeah, I'm so, liking it a lot. Uh, so I read a headline about uh, Britt Baker on Talk Is Jericho confronting people accusing her of stealing Bailey's gimmick. Are you aware of this, or, or what's your take on that? So, stealing? I mean, like, stealing. We could talk about stealing all day long. You you know, continue, Michelle, I, didn't, I didn't hear what she said. I didn't finish reading the article, so I don't know what she said to defend herself with this. I don't necessarily know what she said either, but, you know, stealing, I'm using air quotes here, it happens all the time in the industry. You mean, you mean to tell me the role model gimmick has never been used before? You mean to tell me, like, you know, certain gimmicks were never used before? I mean, like, you know, it happens in movies, happens art, happens in wrestling. It happens all the time. The thing is, what can you do with it? You know, Bailey's not doing anything with it. You know, I don't even think she believes in it. Britt Baker is, and she's taking that to a whole other level. When you when you think about this this gimmick, a year or two from now, when you look back on it, you're not going to remember Bailey from this. You're going to remember Doctor Britt Baker, guaranteed. Big words from Hollywood Mark Schwann. My takedown. Thanks for asking. I would be amiss if I didn't talk about the return of Ginger Mahal. Awesome, happy to see him back. Looking Jack, hopefully the future is bright for him. But my takedown this week, I watched Rebellion, okay? Night two of Rebellion and Impact. Talking about AW, I'm talking about some Impact, Mark. Okay, okay. I w- I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for an Impact moment from you, so bring it, putty. Give me the heat. A couple of weeks ago, they ran a TNA special on Access TV after Impact. They brought That's when they did the live mic with Scott Steiner. They brought back a lot of the TNA originals. This was all done to hype a TNA one-night-only return to pay-per-view, which was canceled, obviously. Of course, right. So leading up to this, for the last several months, Moose, my man Moose, was talking down the TNA roster. How he was back in the day in TNA, he would own TNA. He would be the biggest name in TNA because he calls himself right now Mr. Impact. If he was around on TNA, he would be Mr. TNA. He would have been the champion forever. You know, you know the typical heel moves. So during the leading up to this special and to the pay-per-view, they would bring in TNA originals and he would beat them because Moose is better than these guys. Moose is the name. Moose is the all-around best athlete in any promotion right now, air quotes. So that led to the Impact spe- the TNA special, which is going to lead to something for the TNA pay-per-view. Obviously, that fell flat. Last week, I mentioned how they interviewed Eddie Edwards because he couldn't make the main event for Rebellion. Tessa Blanchard couldn't make the main event as well. And they explained that this week as well, they interviewed her one-on-one. Again, they should have done that with Roman Reigns, but that's last week's story. Whole other story, right? Yeah. So the main event saw Michael Elgin come out to declare himself the new Impact World Heavyweight Champion. 
Okay? Mm. He brings the referee out. He brings the announcer out, who is a TNA guy. Just as about this is going to happen, lights go out. Who comes out? Moose. Rocking the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. What the fuck's going on here? Okay? So it was just, he came out saying he's the only champion on the show. Although the championship's not officially recognized, obviously. So him and Michael Elgin get into a spat. Who comes out? Hernandez comes out. Saying, Moose, you're talking down all the TNA originals. You're not going to have a match without one of the TNA originals. Hernandez comes out. That leads to a triple threat match. It wasn't for the TNA championship, which I thought would have been more cooler. But you see these three big, bulky, muscular, behemoth men in a triple threat like match. Vince McMahon. <laughs> Vince McMahon would have loved this match. You stole my line, Mark. You stepped on my joke. That's some good <laughs> shit. <laughs> Vince McMahon would have loved this match. You have these three big, meaty, muscular guys doing these big, high-impact moves. Some of them flying off the top rope. Ends up, Moose wins, and uh, he's still retaining the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. So it's just... To make a long story short, I didn't write this down, so I'm kind of rambling on here, but it's a, the story arc of Moose and TNA has come kind of full circle here where he's stolen the TNA Heavyweight Championship. We don't know how long we're going to see um, Pizza Blanchard because she's locked away in Mexico because the borders are closed. Right. Although she's a United States citizen, they mentioned that on the show as well. She can come back anytime she wants. Michael Elgin says she's scared. Great storytelling. Great great way to save your ass. Great plan B here. I'm just loving the way they just, like, our main event's ruined. Let's go for a circle of something we've been building for months. Have Moose come out with the TNA Championship and make the focal point TNA Championship. I just thought it was fucking well done. I just it was in a, a great match, the main event Rebellion Night 2. I don't know why Impact is not in the, the conversation between WWE and uh, AEW, but... It's because of money. I guess so. It's and just... They don't, they don't necessarily have the... the, the... The funds to compete necessarily with AEW, WWE. Not only the funds, uh, is that it, when, it's, when, it's, they, when they did have the funds, there were some high spots in Impact, and there were some very, very low points in Impact. But they also didn't have the, the best management, though. Yeah, so they, they, I don't think they have, they still getting a bad name from the management point of it. Because I used to shit on Impact all the time back in the day. I was the biggest critic of them. Always make jokes constantly, putting them down on the show nonstop until they signed uh, Katarina. I'm like, let me give Impact a shot. So I started recording Impact. And I would watch two hours of Impact in maybe five minutes. I fast forward most of it. Right. Until I slowly, that when time went down because I was more enthralled and drawn in. Uh, Impact's fantastic, man. With it, with, I'm curious to see where they go with this whole TNA Impact, uh, TNA World Championship. To... See, it, it, it does sound, I'll give you credit here in this. I, I will say what you described to me when you painted that picture, it does sound like a compelling storyline. It sounds like they're, they're making the best of what they have. It's, a, it's an unfortunate situation on uh, what's going on there. Yeah. But, you know, they're, they're doing the best with what they got. And I think that's great. That's something you have to do creatively. Um, something that, you know, some major promotions are not doing. But that's... the thing is, you know, they don't necessarily, they're, they're not doing the best of job with marketing. They're not doing the best of job as far as, like, you know, having the funds to compete. They don't necessarily have, even have a, a great network that they're on that people that everyone probably has, or even everyone even watches, you know, I mean, those are th- some things that are going against them. It's unfortunate because they do have some good talent over there. Let me tell you something. Impact has won me over so much. I'm thinking about buying their network and watching it from the beginning. Wow. Yeah. That's a big commitment. Now, how much financially does that cost, buddy? Uh, a low, low, nine ninety nine a month. Nine ninety nine a month. For Impact Plus. Huh. Because I missed the heyday of... When Kurt Angle was there, when Krishna was there, when Sting was there, when Samoa Joe, AJ Styles was there. But Impact's awesome. If you guys have nothing to do on Tuesday nights, a lot of shows are ending right now. 
Access TV, AXSTV, Impact Wrestling. 8 to 10, then it's re-aired from 11 to 1. DVR it, watch it. That's what I do. So you can fast forward. Fast forward the stuff you don't want to watch. And then eventually, next week, you'll fast forward a little less and less and less. And he also- a huge push for, for Impact, man. I, I dig it. I support you with this, but yet you shit on my love for AEW. Oh, no, I don't, I don't mean to do that. I just give you a hard time because anything WWE does, you shit on. But if AEW does it, you're like That's hard not your necessarily pants. true. That's not necessarily so, true. It's kind of true. I, I, Listen to that pest shows. It, it's not necessarily true because I will give praise where praise is due. Um, I, I just think you know I have such you know high regard for WWE, and I know what they could do. I know where they've been, and they've just been letting us down time and time again. And meanwhile, you see something like AEW, a newcomer. You know, it's easy to critique the, some things at AEW, but you know what? They're stepping up. They're, they're, they're stepping up where WWE is falling. It's making me more intrigued in watching it. Sort of clear the air here. I used to shit on Impact all the time. Just in case you don't pay attention. I don't shit on AEW. I give you a hard time for your Oh, you used to before, before AEW came on. No, I give them a hard time. I will give them a hard time and shit on them before they debut. Once they debuted, I don't want to be that asshole who shits on something I don't watch. I couldn't watch AEW when it wasn't on. I'm not someone to shit on a product I don't watch anymore because Impact put my foot in my mouth. I'm not shitting on AEW. I'm just giving you a hard time because we're buddies, bro. That's what bros do. Oh, no. Of course. Of course. I I recommend you give it a watch, putty. I watch it when I can. Uh, When I have Wednesday nights free, the Masked Singer has like two weeks left, so my Wednesday nights will open up. I'll I'll probably flip back and forth from that and uh, NXT. You missed some gold commentary, too, with Chris Jericho. I heard a couple of comments he made. He referenced uh, Xavier Woods on commentary this week. He did. Yeah. He did. That's funny. Uh, Jericho is absolutely gold. Like, you know, we talk uh, about Samoa Joe, who made his return on commentary with Monday Night That's Raw. Right. I forgot about that. Probably the highlight of the show itself. Uh, you know, but what Samoa Joe brings to, uh, to the commentating team for Monday Night Raw, times that by 10 with Chris Jericho on there. It's fantastic. I praise from Mark Schwann. Mark, enough about TV. Want to get into our three count? My favorite segment, man. Let's do it up. It's time for the three count. All right, Mark, time for our three count. And Mark, you know, I love to brag when I'm right. I feel, it makes you feel good about myself. It's probably the only thing. Yeah, these days, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but I'm also one of those guys who will admit when he's wrong. This past night, I was in the drive-thru with Kentucky Fried Chicken buying my parents dinner because they can't go out, right? Oh, man, you know, I've been dying for some good KFC. Oh, it's great. So we're talking about the three count. I'm like, all right, I know your top two right away. Then it came to me. I knew your number three. I knew your top three, Mark, instantly. No, there's no way. I think you might know my number one. So I'll give you credit on that because you know me that well. But I, I don't think you – you may know my number two, but you definitely don't know my number three. Your number three, hands down, was going to be don't, – don't interrupt me. Let me embarrass myself fully first. Becky Lynch cashing in at WrestleMania last year. I'm like, yeah, obviously, because that, that was the main event, the biggest storyline going on, until I realized, fucking, she didn't win Money in the Bank. She was a fucking Royal Rumble winner, asshole. Ugh. I just felt so confident in my answer that I realized, that wasn't Money in the Bank, stupid. Oh, my God, dick. <laughs> Michael J. Putty, you're an asshole, idiot. Wow. You host, you host a wrestling podcast, you got Money in the Bank confused with Royal Rumble. <laughs> As I'm driving home, I felt so deflated. I'm like, dick. I was so confident in my answer. <laughs> I didn't have to get, the, I had to get off of my chest. Well, I'll tell you that. You're definitely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so this week we're going to uh, count down our personal top three favorite Money in the Bank cash-ins. Mark, you said I could probably pick your number one. Mark, anybody listening to the show could probably pick my number one as well. But let's start with number three. Mark, go ahead. Well, yeah, the, uh, you were kind of right in this. It is a woman. That's what I was going with. I knew it was going to be a woman. Money in the Bank, yeah. You were right in that. Yeah. 
you know what, dude? I am a big fan of hers. I think she she I think she could be in a better position than she is in right now. But man, that moment when she cashed in against against Nia Jax in that match with Ronda Rousey. I'm talking about Alexa Bliss when she cashed in. It was the same night too. She won the Money in the Bank, and then was later on in that card. Uh, Ronda Rousey looked like she was going to win yeah. uh, against Nia Jax. Alexa Bliss comes in on fire, man, just on fire, heated up. It looked like she was like it was possible going to be like a face turn, but it definitely wasn't. And you know, it, it was a short-lived title reign for her at that point. But man, the, the cash in itself, I dug it. It was a great job by Alexa Bliss. You got pick. Thank you. My number three. If we're going to start a list of the top three cash-ins of all time, there's no better place to start than the very beginning. John Cena just wins a brutal Elimination Chamber match on January 8th, 2006 for New Year's Revolution. Mr. McMahon comes out announcing one more match. Edge is the first man to cash in, becoming a world champion, basically setting a trend on how you do this cash-in by taking advantage of the most ultimate opportunists, they called him from then. Right. From Ed, that point on, he was the ultimate opportunist. Edge catching in, I was like, holy shit, what the fuck's going on? That's one of the moments that just stands out most. When, when you talk about cash-ins, that's one of, the, one of the first ones that pops in my head. Yeah, they're like, well, he's really champion now. That's, yeah. that's happening. <laughs> and, you know, that, that put Edge to, uh, to a whole other level. Exactly, yeah. Put him in the middle yeah. of that picture. Exactly. That's then. Number two. So my, num- my number two, uh, I'm curious to know if you thought this one was happening. Okay. So th- this is probably the most surprising cash in i would say in uh in a recent memory it, it's i'm talking about the main event in wrestlemania with seth rollins, seth rollins yeah that's one number two for you yeah okay so yeah he came in cashed in the middle of a match between roman reigns and brock lesnar two men that at that point no one really cared with whether the whole ring imploded and no one won but seth rollins came in and uh delivered a, what, a few curb stomps in there yeah. and came out victorious something that no one thought was going to happen we didn't see that coming especially after you know he lost to randy orton earlier in the night and then, of course you know the, the awesome image that i think yeah. is in everyone's minds like you see him on that ranch swinging that championship belt like a fucking rock star and he looked like one at that night all right so i'm one for one all right great <laughs> that was a great moment and because uh, not only did he cash he didn't cash in on a vulnerable champion. He cashed in to make it a triple threat match. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, both men were down and exhausted, but it was still a triple threat match. It was still awesome. By the way, Mark, I don't know if you knew this. I was there for that. You were there. Yeah. You were there. Of course you were there for that. My number two, surprising kind of to me, is just a, a moment I remember watching beginning to end and just the hostility of it. And it was one of the first Money in the Bank cash-ins that didn't happen. Uh, surprisingly, it was announced ahead of time. June 11th, 2006, ECW's one-night stand John Cena, Rob Van Dam. The, the, the crowd was just so shitting on him with these horrible chants that if Cena wins, we write sign hanging from the, the, the balcony. Man, there are chants I've never even heard before, probably never will again. It was amazing. It was great because Cena would throw a shirt into the crowd. They threw it right back at him. It's something I've never seen before nor since. Yeah, then you have Edge interfering, spearing him, like, taking out the referee. Paul Heyman comes in, take the three count. RVD wins. And what a way to relaunch ECW. I think there's they're launching off point ECW and Sci-Fi Network. Yeah, it's just yeah, all those yeah. cash-ins. Just it wasn't like surprising. Like, oh my god, it's so surprising. It was just that crowd talking about crowds a couple weeks ago making a moment. This that crowd made this moment of like holy it, shit. It was unique because like you know how many times do you have something like that? I think John Cena was like the only other one that that uh, cashed in in advance. Like yeah. no, not this advance, but like you know set it set a match heads up in advance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Rob Van Dam. It's interesting. It's John Cena was probably the second only person to do it because 
it happened to him. Yeah, true. You know, it's interesting that that happened that way. But, you know, Rob Van Dam, uh, you know, he did a great job with that. That, that match itself was fire. Uh, that, was, that was a great way how they did that. Your number one, Mark? I think I know what it is. Take it away. All right, my number one, uh, you know, we've talked about before, I think, when we talk about uh, crowd reactions, I think uh, we talked about this moment. There's no beating Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. In my opinion. When he cashed in against Alberto Del Rio, uh, you know, just the, the, the pop was just so loud. You just felt the emotion from Dolph Ziggler winning that moment. It was a big moment for him. It was a moment I'm sure he'll never forget. The fans won't forget. If you were lucky enough to be there, you'll never forget that moment. Uh, it was just incredible to see. You felt it no matter where you were when you watched it. You just felt exactly what Dolph Ziggler was feeling in that, in that moment there. What the metal ends? I, I believe so. I think it was, yeah, Newark, I want to say. Newark, okay. Yeah, I know you're number yeah. one because uh, you always talk about that moment and uh, what a great moment that was. And um, again, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. I think when Abel was here, the crowd reactions and that crowd reaction made that moment even better. Oh, 100%, man. It was just a mixture of both because, you know, like, I going back to that conversation that we had, you know, if the crowd didn't necessarily feel that way, I don't necessarily know if Dolph Ziggler yeah. would, would come off the way he did. But at the same time, if Dolph Ziggler didn't, didn't emote the emotions that he had going on that moment, would the crowd respond the same way they did? So it's a give and take right there, man. It was a beautiful moment all, there, all around. Can you guess my number one? Your number one. I think it's pretty obvious. Well, Batista never had a briefcase, so it's not anything with that. That's, that's funny. My number, my number two, I was going to pick Batista. I'm like, wait, Batista wasn't. <laughs> I, feel weird. I feel weird not picking Batista or Triple H or something. <laughs> well, what is your number one, buddy? Do you have a guess? I don't have a okay. guess, actually. Then you're not paying attention when I talk. You're an asshole. Don't take offense. I do that with everyone. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. Anything can happen in the WWE, correct? Oh, I know it. I know it. Yes. Go ahead. The Miz. November 22nd, 2010, Monday Night Raw. The Miz cashing in. Personally, because we had that bet with Green Man, so now I own Green Man, the rights to Green Man. So anybody wants to be Green Man, let me know. We can revive Green Man. Green Man 2.0, let me know. I'm waiting for a new Green Man. But uh, personally, as well, uh, Miz is one of my guys, one of the guys I love since uh, Tough Enough. And I'm a very loyal person. I, Miz is one of my guys I love. This is not something that would ever see happening. And in Hotel from Phoenix... WrestleMania 26, I said Miz is going to be champion by the end of the year. Everyone laughed at me, and it was just one of the moments at Raw where I literally jumped off my couch, jumped up and down, ran around my house, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It was uh, a moment I will never forget. He cashed in on Randy Orton, who was beaten up by the Nexus before the match. And just a caveat cherry on top, not only did Miz win, but it gave us one of the most meme-worthy moments with that angry girl, the anti-Miz girl in the crowd. <laughs> Where is she today? <laughs> yeah, where is she? I want, I'm surprised. Can we get her as guests? Yeah, let's book it. I think Green Man books it. Like, have her. Uh, let's find her. But after after winning the title, he looked at the camera and said, "I told you, I told you all." And it was just one of the moments. Like, yes, good for you. One of the rare moments of one of my guys winning. You know, good job, Mark, for guessing it. You know, I, I gotta say, man. You know, the Miz did such a good job as champion uh, for the WWE, uh, for the WWE. It's a shame he only that had time, one. Too. It, was, it was a great time for him to be champion too. Right. It's, it's a shame. He's only had one reign. You know, I, yeah, I was surprised right. he's never even gotten like another short reign. You know, he, no, the, never the again. does so much for this business and he's gotten better at what he does in the ring. And even just as a, uh, as a performer on the mic, you know, believe it or not, you know, he, he was always good, but you know, on the mic, but you know, he's gotten even better. Um, I, I'm just amazed. That they never gave him another shot. Do you think they ever will again? 
at this point, you know, he he's kind of stuck there with John Morrison. You know, I would the, say the stuck. Mid- they're killing it. They're, they're, I'm loving it. I want to buy that shirt. I, I mean, like, here's the thing with the tag team division. You know, it, it's kind of like the new, uh, the new bathroom break for me in, in the main mm-hmm. roster. I, yeah, I can't necessarily get behind it. it it's just. You see the same moves, same guys doing the what same do think stuff. Smackdown is doing Smackdown is doing a better job than the Raw in the tag team division. No, no, I I don't necessarily think so, man. Oh. I, I think all around it's just uh it's just the same old shit. You know, I I, I want to see uh, better storylines being played out, and I'm not really seeing that right now. AEW, one of the things before they started was saying oh. they're going to focus on tag team division. Are, is that true? Are they focusing on the tag team division as well? Yeah, they got some good tag teams in there. Is it a focal um, point? Is tag team tag team wrestling as important in AEW? I haven't seen it uh, as much lately. I, I think because they don't necessarily have all their talent there. That's true. Uh, doing their thing, so it, it's I think it's kind of taking a back seat, so to speak. Okay. Um, but you know, when it was when it was going, it definitely was. You definitely saw it in there. Uh, but, you know, I mean, of course, with COVID-19 and everything, with, uh, how they're running the operations over there, it's a little bit different now. Yeah, that's a, putting it mildly, yeah. But, you know, I want to go back to Money in the Bank here. You know, we were talking about the Intercontinental Championship, or was it last week or the week before, uh, talking about like how we miss when it was in that spotlight, when we missed the moments where it was such a – you see about those rising stars mm-hmm. that, that were the Intercontinental Champions – uh, would you say I was thinking about this week? Would you say the money in the bank took that spot over? Uh no, I wouldn't say that. Interesting. It should. It should. This should be the catapult. I've saying this for years on the show. Money in the bank should be the one should go to the guy stuck in the mid card and break him through to the main event picture, like a Dolph Ziggler, like the Miz, like a Del Rio, like a CM Punk. And in the last couple of years, it just hasn't done that. Mm. Mm. I think so said, I think you said it, it on the show. I think the IC Championship used to be the launching point to the main card picture back in I think the nineties, right? Yeah, it, it, it seems like Money in the Bank kind of took over that spot. But I, I, I hear what you're saying here, buddy. Like it, it's just uh, it's kind of losing its luster a bit. Yeah, it's losing its luster. If I won the Money in the Bank, I'm stuck in the mid card. This is my launching point, and it just hasn't done that. Like like with Edge. That's what happened. Edge was stuck in the mid card. He was he was on the cusp of being a champion, on the cusp of being a main event player, and he just couldn't get there until money. Well, in the keep bank. in mind, I mean, well, well, Bailey won the Money in the Bank, and look what she's uh, look what she's at right now. You know, like, uh, I think it helped Carmella a bit. Um, it helped Carmella at the time, yeah. But then, mm. yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, she fell off. Not her, not her fault. Her, it was just not, yeah, not her fault. You know, I, I don't necessarily know why they're not doing more with her either. Uh, but you know, I, I think it helped Bailey quite a bit there, getting to to where she is right now. Uh, you know, I have my own personal feelings of what they should be doing with her character, but you know, yeah. either say, I mean, she's still the champ. So, but see, in, the, in the guy's side, I mean, Daniel Bryan, for example, another, another guy who launched him into the main event picture. Right. I, who Who do you see right now possibly winning the men's side? Like, I, I don't, I don't necessarily see anyone like, oh yeah, that's definitely going to be the next champion. Uh, I, I personally, I have my own theory that it's going to be the the mystery person, uh, whoever replaces Apollo Cruz. Yeah, that was weird. Why would you Why would you give Apollo Cruz a chance and then replace him? I, I think it's storyline. I think I think it's it's it's. I, that's no, it's storyline. Why do Why do it? Though? Why give? Why, I, why dangle that feather in front of his face and just pull it? You know, it, it actually helps people like you know uh, feel bad for Apollo Cruz. 
um, you know, sympathize, sympathize with him a bit, uh, you know, but then also, he, I think the only payoff for what I talked about earlier in the show, when we talked about the, the, the new faction with uh, Selena Vega's group of, of, of men, you know, how they've been being booked. I, I think the, the, the only saving point for them right now is to have one of those guys with money in the bank for either Andrade, oh, Theory, awesome. yeah. or Garza. I, if one of them wins the Money in the Bank Championship, it goes on to win the WWE uh, Universal Championship. Um, WWE Championship. No, WWE Championship is on yeah. SmackDown. No, Universal right? Championship. Oh, no, no, you're right. yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, it goes on to win a WWE Championship. Then uh, I, I think you have something there with them. Yeah. That's only seven grace for them right now because honestly, they've been getting booked like crap. No, it makes sense. I'll give it to Austin Theory. You give it to Austin Theory already? Because he, he's, what, only 22, 23? He's very young, right? Everyone, everyone loves him backstage. Uh, obviously, they do because he's on the Raw, as they're giving what basically no time on NXT. Would we you see him in picture, We see him in person against uh, Darius Carter at BCW's third anniversary show. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be great because um, Andrade has the U.S. title. Wait, that doesn't mean anything. He could he could still lose that title and still have the briefcase. He has a briefcase for 365 days. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I think you're probably more right than I am because they probably give it to him because Austin Theory is brand new. Right. But I'm just saying, as a fan wise, it'd be cool to see Austin Theory have it because again, it's something new and different. Because uh, Andrade, we've seen before. Just let me see what this guy has. I think it's too soon to pull that plug there for him. You know, I, I think he needs a little bit more time on the main roster. I mean, like, did you just? I, I feel like he just signed just like yesterday. It feels like <laughs> I'm just tired of you seeing know? the same people in the main event picture. Well, Andrade hasn't been the main event picture. Mm, he's true. just he's just starting to be now. I, I I think it would be very interesting to see. I, he's the only guy that I could possibly see winning that match and doing something. And hopefully it puts him to the next level. It puts that whole group of, of, of people to that next level. I, I hope to God they come up with a name for that faction soon. But yeah. that's a whole other point. But, you know, it, it's just they're doing such a good job as, as, as talent. But it's just like, man, I just feel like they're getting buried. Yeah. There's no really elite alliance between him uh, Andrade, Angel Garza, and Austin Theory, except her. Mm. So I don't need to see them like Bobby the Brain Heenan. I don't need to see them all together. Have her come out with Angel Garza. Have her come out with Austin Theory. You don't need to see them all three together at the same time. I know there's a stable. The Heenan family was a stable, but we didn't see them all together every time. That's a good point, buddy. I mean, I kind of miss those days myself, man. That's one big thing I miss, too. Yeah. And you know, not to say they don't come out for the the big moments. Of course not. Yeah, they would have to because they're a, they're a unit. They're a family. I, I feel like the the million dollar corporation did something similar. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Yeah, but I think we're just now rambling on, Mark. I think we're talking in circles. So, uh, want to get some go home thoughts? Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's do some go home thoughts before we do that. Yeah. Uh, let's know your top three cash ins. Dial up six one nine three four three three zero zero five inbox. At shadowwrestling.com or hits up on our social medias, Shadow Wrestling on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Let's get some go home thoughts. For the last couple weeks, we've been hyping this promo contest on our hotline, 619-343-3005. And for the last two weeks, we had Casanova Valentine cutting a promo when you dial it up. And we had people call in to answer the promo. Thank you to everybody who called in. Some good ones, some you know, not so good ones. Keep it up. No, never give up, never surrender. Keep trying. But Mark, I think me and you listen to it. I think this hands down is the winner. You ready to play it? Yeah, please play this one. Casanova Valentine. What is there to say? 
You're the originator of the no ring death match. You're the most original wrestler in the tri-state area. A fat bearded piece of shit who decided to go from the top high school wrestler in prom king to a fucking bouncer in Brooklyn. Do I like you? No. Am I serious? Yes. I've been to upstate New York because I live here. I know why you fled, and that's because you thought you'd be more. And I'm here to remind you why you fucking left. That's because you're sad. You're a sad man with a broken body. You want to see me? You want to come at someone you don't know? Let me know and I'll meet you there. You're the dipshit heart attack waiting to happen. Casanova, suck my dick. My mom's dead and you're about to be too. Mark, it kind of caught off the end. He was saying his mom is dead and you're about to be too. That's our winner. Congratulations to you. You did not leave your name, but I do have your number. I'll pass it off to the powers that be. They'll be in touch with you about getting your brand new Hotha Presses SOW merch. So congratulations. I mean, that's, well done, that, that's how you do it. Well that's done. how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Uh, There's no coming back to that one. It? Yeah. I mean, he, he may even challenge Casanova Valentine for that uh, promo championship he's got. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Casanova Valentine, you want to answer that, dial it up 619-343-3005. But congratulations yeah, to you. Again, we'll be, we'll be in touch with you up. about how you uh, receive your prize. Thank you to all of you who dialed it up. You guys did a great job. Even though that sucked, you still did a great job. You still were brave enough to dial it up. I would not have been brave enough to do it. So thank you to everyone who participated. And stay tuned for round number two, Mark. And go home and talk to you, my friend. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, uh, we, we still have that partnership right now with uh, Jedi Jack Yeti. Uh, if you guys haven't checked them out yet on Instagram, please do. They do wrestling stickers. Uh, and it's just not just wrestling. I mean, they do a bunch of other type of stickers and really awesome custom designs here. You said uh, that was Star Wars as well, right? I've seen some Star Wars on here. Because... Power Ranger stuff mixed with wrestling. When this show posts uh, Monday, it'll be uh, <clears throat> May the 4th. That's right. May, Mark, uh, may the 4th be with you. <laughs> no, may the 4th be with you, buddy. I, right now, I'm looking. Check out this one. It, it's a Darth Vader sticker, right? Okay. But it's, got the, it's got the Madness bandana on top with, the, with Macho Man or when he's part of the NWO. <laughs> uh, so, awesome, so that, that is. Right. No, I mean, that's that's pretty sick, man. So, yeah, check that out. If you're into stickers, either wrestling or uh, or Star Wars, anything like that, uh, check out Jedi Jack Yeti on Instagram. If you purchase through them $10 or more, uh, you enter the code SOW25, you get 25% off that purchase. It's a little quarantine gift for you guys. All right. So, Mark, I'll probably do that if the show ends. I need to buy that Darth Vader Macho Man sticker. That's awesome. SOW25, again, check those guys out. Again, thanks for everybody called up. Mark, that's our show. 207 is in the books. Hell yeah, man. So, for your favorite actor, the Hollywood assassin, Mark Schwann. And for Chris Levin, I've been your host at Michael J. Putty. Until next week, stay safe, wash your hands, don't touch your face, social distancing works. Putty, yep. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, I need to announce it's last call at the bar. Oh. All right, guys. Thank you for staying tuned for the end of the show. It's our favorite segment, Last Call, again here with Chris Levin. Chris, are you ready for yep. this? 
as ready as I can be. <laughs> All right. Well, starting off, which all-time favorite classic that you wish that you could have refed? Ooh. Okay, so off the top of my head, this might sound like a weird choice, but two of my favorite matches, I'm going to say, that I uh, that are from the indies, actually, that aren't from anywhere too mainstream. One of them was uh, last year at Chikara. It was in Chicago, and it was the main event. It was Boomer Hatfield versus Dasher Hatfield, who, in storyline, their father and son. Uh, and it was a mask versus mask match. And... To this day, it is the best live match I've ever seen. Wow. It was incredible. Uh, Dasher is one of those hidden gems. He's like low-key the best guy on the Indies, period. And his son, Boomer, is a prodigy. I've never seen someone just take to everything in between the ropes as well and as quickly. And uh, So that would definitely be one of them. The other one that I would say would be Years ago, beyond wrestling, there was a match between Eddie Edwards and Biff Busick, who uh, Biff's in WWE now is only Lorcan. And they had a program there. And I, I believe the first match of the series I refed, uh, and it was awesome. They eventually concluded it in an Iron Man match, uh, 60 minutes. And it was an awesome, awesome match. And I believe Kevin Quinn refed it. Uh, that's another one I would love to be in there for. Nice. What is your favorite WrestleMania moment? It's hard to say because, like, on one hand, you know, I think back to my fandom and I think back to the first WrestleMania I ever watched live, which was WrestleMania 20. You know, like, at the time, it's such an awesome moment with Eddie and Benoit, but, you know, obviously since then it's been tainted. So I'm not sure. I'd I'd have to think on that one. Yeah, no problem. Which TV character do you most relate to? You know, I'm going to go with um, any entertainment, not just TV. Uh, And the more I read Watchmen throughout different periods of my life the more i relate to different characters okay now i'm more in a stage where i relate to dr manhattan just in the sense of sometimes i just want to be on a different planet (laughs) (laughs) i just want to be away and i just don't get other people and like things just don't make sense to me anymore you know i feel you right now (laughs) yeah which celebrity would you mark out for if you ever met them in person that's weird because I'm not a – okay, so I, I'm a weirdo in the sense that, like, if I met, like, a major star or something, it wouldn't be a big deal to me. But, like, if I ran to Ace Darling at the mall, I would lose my mind. Like, oh, my God, it's Ace Darling. Like, come on, ECWA. So, um, sure, let's go with Ace Darling. There you go. <laughs> if you had any other job, what would you do? I mean, aside from wrestling and writing and stuff like that, I've – there's two career paths that always really interest me that I wasn't able to pursue because of wrestling. One of them was working at sea, and I'm not really sure what I would have done. Just the idea of being at sea sounds awesome. I'm from Atlantic City, so I'm right on the shore. And the other thing that I really seriously pursued was art history. And unfortunately, just like with the way my schedule is, I'm in, I'm in school now for journalism, and I couldn't take the proper classes and do the proper internships and all that if I wanted to maintain the like chaotic wacky wrestling schedule of hey man i know you're coming back from a show tonight but could you be in canada tomorrow morning like you wouldn't be able to maintain that and i i had to take wrestling for our history so who was your hero growing up uh my brother he is eight years older than me and so much about who i am as a person has been formed by j- just that at that time with him, which is funny because we're like polar opposites at high school which table were you the one sitting at? Like, which type of group of people were you hanging out with? 
uh, the Misfits. Um, rather, a the Misfits, like the dorks and geeks who didn't really have that many friends, or uh, I would be like the one who would go into the library and like read books because I didn't have anyone to sit with. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just like I was painfully shy and quiet and just reserved and. And then all of a sudden, boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wrestling really was what brought me out of my shell. Meeting Sammy Callahan specifically, going on the road with him. That was kind of when I figured out who I was as a person, who I wanted to be. All right, Chris. Well, thank you for joining us for Last Call. Where can they find you on social media? At Ref Chris Levin, and that's Chris with a K because my parents are difficult. <laughs> Oh, let's not throw your pants completely underneath the bus. You did a good job, man. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you do once this quarantine is lifted. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hey, baby, I hear the bell ringing, hip tosses and body slams. Oh, my. And maybe you seem a bit confused. Yeah, baby, but I got you pinned. Ha, 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 ha. But I don't know what to do when I see them with that golden case. They're cashing it in. Authority all in my face. What is a man to do? Good night, everybody.